Hey guys, Rob from Georgia calling on the most influential film of the last 50 years. My pick, The Bird with the Crystal Plumage, 1970, Dario Argento. Why it was released the year I was born. Two, it launched an incredible career as well as a genre of film. Three, his later films would shape my own love for horror, compliments of the video store. Four, as I remember, his films were usually released in the U.S. in letterboxed format. Widescreen is the norm today. In five, he helped propel Michele Savea's career, for which we might not have his very own stage fright. That's why I have picked The Bird with the Crystal Plumage as the most influential film of the last 50 years. Hope you all agree. Please keep up the good work. Bye. Oh, yeah, what's going on, everybody? Episode 50 is finally here. The 22 Shots of Moods and Horror coming at you live. I'm your host, Mood616, and of course, I've always got my two motherfucking cinephiles with me, NES Ruler22, also known as Jeremy, and of course, we've got the homeboy, Double Shot J, also known as JP. What's going on, brothers? Episode 50 is going oh, on. Oh, yeah. Going down right, right now. now. Right here. It is going down right now, right here. And we are live and starting actually a little bit earlier, which is very interesting for us, I have to say. And there is only one way to start episode 50. Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ah, good times, good times. That's the way to start episode 50. So it is yeah. episode 50, right? Uh, we've had Episode, 50 episodes. 50. Well, technically, we've recorded 49 episodes. This is the 50. Well, technically, 51. we've recorded 50 episodes because of the long-lost My Bloody Valentine episode. <laughs> yep. That's a good point. I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, so, That's because so of score lost, one for you know. me. <laughs> In cyberspace. But how do you guys feel about that? I mean, it's pretty cool, right? Like, This was actually something that we have never talked about, and Jeremy actually came up with the idea for this show. Oh, yeah. Uh, because mm-hmm. me and Moods were part of another show, short-lived. Jeremy was coming on right at the end. We never even actually got to do, do an episode. It was the burial grounds, for those of you who've been around long enough. Uh, and then slowly that thing died. A couple weeks later, Jeremy was like, hey, I'm thinking of starting a podcast. You, you know, he asked Moods, do you want to join? And Moods was like, yeah. And then... Shortly after that, Moods asked me, and and then there was like a month delay. You guys remember that? There was like a month delay. We were supposed to start, and then like something came up. There was like a month delay. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't seem that long the... ago, though, to be completely honest. Like, I remember do... episode one. Yeah. Did we do five episodes of The Burial Grounds? Was it uh, five? Four, I believe. No, it was, was five. Was it only four? It was five. I think it was five. Yep, and then... five. So that, that's interesting. So we're at episode 50 now. Of this show, so ten times. The I think it's event. quite a feat. It's quite a feat. We've, you know, when did we start? When did we start this? It, it was, was like, like November two, of thirteen, I think, right? Yeah, of yeah. two thousand thirteen. Okay, so yeah, we've been we've been going strong for a year and a half. Yeah. Not bad. Who not would have thought it would last this episode. long? Well, surely yeah. not, David K. David K. <laughs> we've we've you know we've had our ups and downs. Um, you know, of course, just you know, even personally with the show. You know, yeah. but we've bat- we've battled through a lot of things, and it's actually quite amazing. Um, you know, someone asked me, actually, someone I think it was JP even at said the other day is like, "What do you think the running time of our shows is?" And I was like, "It's got to be like a month, <laughs> like time, because we've we've massacred a lot of time." Well, let's just say four hours on average. 
Yeah. Times that by 50, so that's 200 hours. I know. It's been a lot of hours we put into this, but... And here it is. All that work for episode 50, which, of course, is going to be the final episode. (laughs) Just joking. (laughs) (laughs) I guess you're people screaming out there. Um, But, yeah, I think think what we want to do right now is get into a little bit of a disclaimer on exactly how we compiled this list um, and how the list works. JP, do you want to give a little bit of insight into that? Yeah, so the first thing we did when creating this list is we just started list, listing off potential films, just rapid fire. You know, Pretty every sure you every want. film that we could think of, films that had no chance of even making it. Uh, in the end, they had no chance. But at the time, we were just saying anything that came to mind. Uh, and then we took the next step, which was kind of ranking a top 10, which was the core idea is let's get the top 10 done and then everything else will fall into place. Uh, So we, we worked really hard on the top 10. I almost wish we would have had more time to kind of like hammer everything out because I know that there's going to be that one damn film that is so obvious that belonged in like the top 15 and we somehow forgot about it. So uh, hopefully that doesn't happen, but you know, then we started ranking them. We took film a and said, is it more influential than film B? If it is, it moves on. It faces film C. It faces film D. So on and so on. And we just went and down the act- list a bunch of times. That's actually the main point here. This is th- th- These films are not ranked by you know quality of films. They're ranked by influence, influence in the horror genre. Yeah, how did know, it right? affect the horror genre? So that's did something have- that we really need to get across here. It's, you know, so a lot of the films that are even at the bottom of the list are fantastic and actually oh, yeah. number, number 50, 50 like number 50 is actually literally I think is one of the best horror films ever made. And I agree. 100%. But, but it's see this list is uh, what it influenced and stuff. See a lot of these films are amazing films but they didn't necessarily influence that as much. As much as say number 5. Right. Yeah, exactly. So, so that's how the list is compiled is by influential films. Yeah. You know, which which is, you know, what what does that mean? What 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 does that actually mean? Well, yeah, it means what effect did it have on the genre? Did it create a snowball effect? Did it mm-hmm. uh, was it ripped off a bunch of times? Did it create an entire genre? You know, there's so many different things that can be, uh, you know, sourced there's yeah there's so many factors of why these films are in the places they are and you know another interesting note there's a few films that are really actually kind of high on this list that i don't even care for yeah so this is not biased at all this list is not biased at all like my favorite film of all time you know is not even that high you know and and that's the thing so we compiled this list we tried to you know not be biased at all and really kind of focus on the films themselves and what kind of effect it had on the genre. So we left all that aside and just, and went to town that way. And we had some battles too, because there were films that I felt should be higher. And there was films that Jeremy felt should be higher. And it was kind of, you know, majority roles. So sometimes Mm -hmm. I got my way. Sometimes I didn't. Um, But at the end, I think that we are all three pretty happy with the ranking. Because that was a big thing, right? The ranking, yeah. it was very hard. There's one film in particular that we had the worst time with because I hadn't seen it. And those mm-hmm. two were on opposite ends on every battle. So it was it was, it was, oh, a, yeah. it was a rough one. But we got yeah. through that one. We'll tell you more about that one later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, what can I say? 
again, if you're going to get mad at us, at least do it is, creatively and not saying you're dumb. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this, this is a list that we compiled. We just the three of us. Um, we're not still a hundred percent sure. We, I know for, I'm starting to think, I know we left off one film here and we kind of overlooked. Yeah. Um, but you know, with that said, that's going to happen. This is a top 50 list. It's very, very hard. We put a lot of work and effort into this, a lot of hours, you know, yeah, this, literal is, this hours. wasn't just compiled in like an hour or two. This actually took weeks of, you know, talking about the films individually, even before we started ranking, okay, why is this film here? And then we actually came up with some points that we'll get to later in the film or later in the, in the show, <laughs> why these film. films are in their spots. And, you know, hopefully you guys understand why they're in those places and stuff. So, yeah. you know, this is, like I said, it's still subjective, but this is the list that we came up with and I hope you guys enjoy. And, yeah. and I will say one last thing that I do feel like the top end of the list, you know, in terms of like the, the top ranked, films that we chose are very well done in terms of the ranking. Like yeah. obviously 50 to, you know, 40, 30, uh, they can move around a bit more, but the, they really could. Yeah. as you get closer to the, the number one, it gets more and more concrete. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So I hope everyone out there understands where we're coming from here and how we compiled this list. Once again, this is not ranked by quality of films, <laughs> right? So just get that right now before we get into number 50. Now, I know right off the bat, Somebody's this is probably – someone's going to fucking scream at us. <laughs> how is this number 50? Because I will shit you not, all three of us went, how is that number 50? So we're in the same boat as you guys, but this is how it came down. This is how it fell into place. So without further ado – at number 50 of the top 50 influential films of the last 50 years, which is 1965 to 2015, number 50 is John Carpenter's The Thing from 1982. Yeah, it, and I think the most surprising thing about The Thing is that it really didn't influence anything yeah. at all. And no. I mean, more than, say, Elves or some random film, but. Well, I think, like, the original influenced. Yeah, more than the remake. To be completely yeah, honest, <laughs> I think so. And and of course that one falls out of our time frame yeah. too. This was a film that we really kind of struggled with when we were doing the ranking because all three of us consider this to be one of the best films, if not, you know, even it might even be the greatest horror film ever made. I don't know. Yeah, you know, a lot it of people do consider it. You know, it's very, it's definitely yeah. an argue piece for that type of status. But you know, and we just for some odd reason we kept going. What exactly did this film influence? Nothing. It didn't it really, really influence didn't a lot. Really, didn't influence a lot. Besides, everybody does the cite the effects, you know. Yeah. But the there effects, are other yeah. films on this list that did that even more so. So mm-hmm. you really can't go to that as like, well, it, it it launched a thousand careers of effects artists. You know what I mean? Like it didn't do all that much, but it still is a film. You know, it's a body snatcher. It was influ- It got its influence from body snatching films you know what yeah. i mean yeah. so yeah. so even that it was it's a remake itself so it's not really that original in terms of what it put out so into much, the yeah. horror world so I'm, I'm actually kind of glad that this one started off at number 50 because this is a great film this is kind of proving our point that we're not being biased at all for quality of films because to me the thing is a perfect 10 out of 10 i absolutely love this film but i just can't find a lot of reasons to have it higher because it didn't really influence a lot of things. It took it, this film was influenced by a lot of films and just yeah. made a, it took a lot of different type of elements of film and created an amazing piece of art. So that's why it is so low on the list. Atmosphere, but, man. 
oh, the atmosphere, the effects, the acting, the setting, the cinematography, the film's beautiful. Yeah. It really is, but, you know. That's it. I can't wait, I can't wait to get some feedback on that one. <laughs> hey, guys, it's Matt. I'm doing my uh, answer for episode 50 here. So my answer for best, best memor- uh, whatever horror it is, I'm going with John Carpenter's The Thing. This one made remakes insane. It, it, you can say a remake, and a lot of times people will think the blob or the thing. The thing made uh, special practical effects incredibly crazy. When you think about the thing, a lot of people don't think of the original, which was a thing from another planet. So everyone goes right to John Carpenter's The Thing. I think that's the best of the 50, uh, best 50 years. I know there are others out there, but this was mine. All right, guys. Can't wait to hear what episode 50 has installed. Later. Number 49, Reanimator from 1985. Yeah, Reanimator from 1985. Um, I know you love this movie, Moods. Ah, I'm such a huge, huge fan of this film. Um, I can't exactly remember. I remember us arguing about the reasons why this one was influential. Um, it's obviously got a lot to do with... Uh, Stuart uh, Gordon, H.P. Lovecraft, the... Um, Empire era, it really kind of um, kicked into gear that that uh, you know Charles Band's crew and stuff like Charlie that. Charlie Band, good friend mm-hmm. Charlie Band has to make an appearance on the list. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was you know technically Zomcoms before Reanimator, but it's not like that goofy, silly one. I think mm-hmm. it kind of influenced yeah. a lot of those type of films to come later. And I mean, this film had it all, though it had you know it had pretty decent direction, um, you know. Jeffrey Combs is absolutely amazing in this film. You cannot deny the fact he's he's brilliant. It's such he's an, been in you know, like everything though. Yeah, this this is this role is just like he was born to play that role. I think uh, effects wise, but I think it has a lot to do with the fact of the Zomcom. You know, mm-hmm. you know, and the thing I love about Reanimator it's it's not that goofy, silly, stupid Zomcom. It's like done properly, and I think this kind of was the uh, you know the baby steps for a lot of films to come after. And I think that even as somebody who has never actually seen Reanimator, I do what? know the film enough to see that I've seen it kind of mimicked and mocked in other pop culture mm-hmm. references, you know, and even I'm 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 even saying cartoons. I've seen it kind of spoofed and, mm-hmm. you know, satired in cartoons and other things. It, it's the mad it's, scientist it, it, and things like it's that. It's the whole Herbert West, man, it's like the whole character, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, the uh, the infamous head talking, yeah, the head, you know, uh, crotch thing, thing. <laughs> you know, that's been just it's been mimicked and done to death, and you know, so you know, it definitely had a lot of influence, but mm-hmm. yeah, reanimated from 1985. Number 48, we have Sleepaway Camp from the year 1983. Yeah, Sleepaway Camp. So it was really the ending. Yeah, I think the ending, like, I think the ending really, like, jump-started the shocking endings to, like, a new height. Yeah, and I mean, you have Friday the 13th and Halloween, you know, those probably up to this time were two of the more shocking endings. But I think this one's, for the time, really cemented, you know, the idea of shocking endings into everybody's, you know, mind. They took a formula the generic video slasher right and they even rolled more with it in the the sequels where they 
took the marketing to the next level. They put Freddy's glove in the backpack. They put Jason's mask on the chainsaw. You know, like they kind of influenced the way, you know, 83, it's, it's early still in the slasher era. And it kind of was like, you can sell a slasher and it could be just an average film. But if you have one good thing in it, mm-hmm. like the ending, it will live on forever. You know, it'll it'll be rented at every video store for a long time. And I think Sleepaway Camp did a great job at and, kickstarting that, that cycle. Yeah. And listening to people's like, you know, stories about renting Sleepaway Camp and then watching the film and then they get to the ending and you can barely watch see what's going on because the video has been you know rewind and and (laughs) played so many times right at that point for the last you know 30 seconds i think that says enough about how much the movie you know you know when i was the tape quality yeah yeah. when i was a child i didn't even realize that's why my video was so gross at the end i never even realized that was the reason yeah i'm like why the i I just thought maybe it was i don't know because i was so young but but yeah at sleepaway camp definitely separates itself because i mean when you really do look at the film itself it's it's got a very generic formula to it but mm-hmm. then it separates itself from that pact by one simple thing by having such a great ending yeah and and this is what a lot of filmmakers i think strive for you know like let, let's oh, yeah. have a really great ending because you can have a really generic film you know with you know interesting enough characters and kills uh think- but then but that one thing separates itself, and that's Sleepaway Camp. And I think this is why it's on the list because you know it's very, very memorable, and it influenced a lot of um, you know later slashes. And too, I think, I believe. and I think a film higher up on the list, like really high up on the list, benefited from the same thing that Sleepaway Camp did. Moving along, number forty-seven is nineteen uh, 1987's Hellraiser, of course, directed by Clive Barker. Um. You might be surprised to see this is another film that some yeah. people might be like, Hellraiser, really? But when you th- really think about it, Hellraiser is only known for a few things. It's a damn good movie. We, we mm-hmm. know that. But what did it influence? Um, the, the puzzle box itself, I would say, was is kind of yeah. an influence because it, it, it really – we've seen it it's ripped iconic. off and, yeah. and, and things like that. The Cenobites, uh, the um, you know bondage – whatever the hell you want to call it stuff that they're wearing the s&m gear stuff like that i mean uh clive barker i think what hellraiser did is took a very you know the premise of the film is just it's interesting you know what they created with the demons you know i've never seen demons like this in a film before yeah, if that's mm-hmm. what you want to call them. I mean, I, I that's what I always refer to the Cenobites as. They're you know they're basically demons from hell in a way. Yeah, but it's um, Clive Barker's hell, and that's the difference. They are, exactly. It, it's like Clive Barker created his own version of hell, which is entirely different than the Christian version of hell. Mm-hmm. Yet it still kind of has familiar elements, and mm-hmm. that that's what is so interesting about Hellraiser. Yeah, Hellraiser. I, I believe you know, it, it's kind of one of those ones that uh, I think was. Where do we put it on the list? You know, we know yeah. it has influence. But it's not like worthy of being on like a, you know, in the top half, I think. Yeah, but they're very exactly. minor influences. Yeah, exactly. But it's exactly. still more influence than something like The Purge or something <laughs> something stupid like that. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah, Hellraiser from 1987. I mean, when I think of Hellraiser, I think of the iconic characters, yeah. you know, as in Pinhead, the, obviously the box and like the uh, the gore effects 
and things like that. There's a lot of standout things about Hellraiser, but it's a very interesting world that Clive Barker created. And I think a lot of filmmakers look at that and go, you know, that's interesting. It's never really been done up to that point, like creating a whole different type of world Mm -hmm. that really worked. You know, I mean, at times, I guess the story can be a little convoluted and almost confusing at times. I think a lot of people say, but you can figure it out. Uh, Cabin in the Woods, they had uh, the Cenobite, like their own version of the Cenobites in there, which was pretty cool. Number 46, The Strangers from 2008. This is one I fought very hard to have on the list. Extremely, extremely hard. Because I really think like this movie brought, you know, scary movies, you know, more faced on suspense than violence. Because I think up into this time um you know from 2003 until 2008 we just saw a whole slew of you know violent torture films we really weren't seeing any any films just purely based on on fear and the strangers i thought really um captivated on uh you know the home invasion genre which i think up to this point really wasn't you know made in the first eight years of the 2000s unless i'm wrong but as I was thinking, you can't really think of like too many really, really well-known home invasion films in the first ten years of you know the two thousands. But you know, there's a slew of them the past four or five years. So I really think The Strangers really brought the home invasion genre back into the eye of filmmakers, not even the mainstream, but the independent scene as well. So. I think it should be on there for sure. Yeah, that's a pretty good point because there was a lot of you know home invasion films done in the seventies and maybe a little in the early 80s and stuff, but really it, it kind of that subgenre of horror film had disappeared for a long time. Yeah, it did. You know, and I think this one was a very notable one that does kind of, I, I think there was some in early 2000. I can't remember. Um, but yeah, that that's an interesting point. Though. It definitely kickstarted the home invasion uh, subgenre again. And Jeremy brings up a great point in a world where, horror was really in your face this was kind of one of the standouts to bring back the suspense because as we know horror films started with suspense and things like that and it kind of went away in that era the 2003 to 2008 era where it was really in your face it was hostile it was saw and this one kind of slowed things down a bit and went back to the basics yeah and i think this i think this film right here is a perfect example of a film that's on the list that probably has a very very you know love hate relationship with a lot of people i know a lot of people dislike this film a lot of people love it so but again this is you know the list isn't being ranked by you know the films it's the influence on the subgenre right or the genre so that's why this is on the list Uh, i personally think this film is fantastic and notably i think this is actually the newest film that is on this list yeah (laughs) so that's an interesting note right there number 45 the top 50 most influential horror films of the last 50 years is Cube from the year 1997, the Canadian <laughs> film. Yeah, and you're probably thinking to yourself, Cube, why is that influential? Well, it's, Indies. You know, yeah, for a lot of different things, you know, indie films. Um, but, you know, this film, I've always said, was the main inspiration for a film like Saw that created an entire franchise almost a whole subgenre in itself. Oh, you know, yeah. there was films that were, you know, similar, but not like this before 1997. I think this one is a very notable film for that reason. It is. Know? And they took a concept of 
you know, seven people trapped in a room with rooms on each wall and floor and ceiling uh, that have more rooms outside of them. It, it's but the core concept is you're in one room. You're in one room. It's yeah. it's one of those films. It's a contained horror film, and it really is one of the first to do it like that. And on an indie level, they had one and a half cubes, right? They filmed this whole thing in one and a half cubes. They would switch out the colors of the walls, and yeah. that is super yeah. indie. That is super <clears throat> creative. And I think a lot of people did look at Vincenzo, who created this film, and say, like, wow, this guy did it with nothing and an interesting idea like that that's very influential and i think a lot of people do cite cube for those reasons yeah it's very fresh you know and it it holds a lot of ground because of those reasons so yeah it's probably a film a lot of people weren't expecting to you know to hear on this list but it should be on there deserves to be on there but it definitely deserves to be on there and this is the type of film that we you know this is the reason why we, you know, we put a lot of thought into this because so we could figure out films like this. Yeah. You know, Cube, yeah, definitely belongs there. 1997, wow, crazy. Number 44 is Peter Jackson's 1992 Brain Dead, or as we know it, Dead Alive. Yeah. <clears throat> New Zealand, Peter yep. Jackson. Gore. It jump started Peter Jackson's career. Like, I can't think of like another film directed by him that, you know, up until this point that really anybody knew who Peter Jackson was. But after Dead Alive, you know, he started to pick up steam more and more and he started to release more films. And now look where he is today. Like besides us and, you know, movie fans, nobody even remembers him for these kind of movies. But you have it's almost like he's a different person now. Like that guy made those. And this is this guy has nothing to do with that guy. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's I think we recognize Peter Jackson for, you know, Dead Alive. I mean, he obviously had bad taste before that, yeah. which I think was pretty decently huge in New Zealand and uh, Meet the Feebles and stuff like that. But uh, but this is the film that really kind of broke out and, and created something like, wow, this movie was so crazy. And I remember, you know, when I fir- I don't remember when I first watched it, but just the end of this film was like on a whole different level of craziness i'd never seen anything mm-hmm. like that yeah and i think it definitely influenced people not only on the zomcom but of course new zealand filmmakers but wow you can really make a fucking mess with a film in a good way yeah with like no budget yeah like, and is- <clears throat> and also i will say that one of the things that i kind of see still to this day is sort of that new zealand sense of humor that that kind of dark comedy things like housebound kind of remind Mm -hmm. you of it and i still think people are are being influenced by that style of comedy because i can't think of a film before dead alive that had that specific style of comedy that's kind of almost a little hard to explain right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. well i mean bad taste definitely has that type of comedy in there too it's yeah well it's peter jackson but it is peter jackson and they definitely have very very similar but man when i first watched housebound all i could think was peter jackson films like it was just it just felt like mm-hmm. that New Zealand. It, it was so similar. I was like, wow. And, you know, that's the reason why I fell in love with uh, Housebound, too. But Dead Alive, what can I say, man? This movie. Wow. <laughs> so much fun. Yeah. Coming in at number 43, we have David Cronenberg's The Fly from 1986. Hey, uh, just start listening to the podcast. Great stuff, man. But uh, 
to me, the most influential horror movie in the genre would probably have to be The Fly, just because I think David Cronenberg, just that whole body horror and the eeriness of his vision and everything, just to me, I think it just changed the landscape. But my personal favorite horror movie of all time would be Hellraiser 3, but I mean, I just think David Cronenberg was more influential on the genre. All right, man. Peace. Yeah. Um, oddly enough, this is the second remake that's Just actually on this list. Yeah. <laughs> In the first, like, I didn't even realize that when we were doing the list here. Um, the Fly. Uh, I think it's on the list for the simple fact of effects. Yeah. You know, it's not terribly a major, major high budget film from what I remember. Um, but this is what you can do with a minor budget is create something so memorable. I mean, they actually, didn't they win awards for the effects in this? I'm pretty sure. Probably. I'm pretty sure they Boy, did, actually. The body horror yeah, as well. Yeah, they won right? an Oscar. I think, I think a lot of people, makeup. I think a lot of people talk about um, the level of body horror in this film mm-hmm. and how um, claustrophobic and, and things the apartment is when his body's falling apart. And you can really kind of just feel it. And I think that a lot of people have mimicked that in terms of body horror, when they when you see other body horror films, I, I really do think a lot of people draw from the fly in the way that mm. the body falls apart. Yeah, I think it was just a step up in effects, and you know, a lot of I think a lot of filmmakers do cite this film as wow, look at that, <laughs> you know, kind of deal. So, yeah, teleportation um, as well. The uh, yeah, telepods. I mean, I, I guess a little bit. When I think of the fly, man, I totally think of um, like the effects. Oh yeah, me too. You know, I think that's what this movie's most notable for. Um, you know, it's kind of funny. I hear a lot of people talk about this film, and they're just like, you know, Jeff Goldblum was actually pretty good in that film. <laughs> <laughs> was he? I don't know. Yeah. But yeah. At number 42 of the most influential horror films of the last 50 years, we have Zombie from the year 1979. Oh, yeah, Zombie. See, another film that most people would... It's a great film. Fantastic fucking film, but... Got to think about what the list is. Exactly. Exactly. Um, I mean, quite obviously, this movie right here was influenced by Dawn of the Dead, which is like an unofficial sequel to Dawn of the Dead. And this movie right here spawned a fucking ton. Well, obviously, sequels, you know, that were kind of unrelated to this series and stuff, but it spawned a whole Italian uh, splurge of zombie films after this it just it exploded i think this was the film that just kind of set the bar yeah we need to make some zombie films yeah and you know there was just tons like there's there's so many that came after this and i think um you know that's what faulty did for you know the zombie film in in italy but this one right here has not only some of the most amazing cinematography but it has one of the most notable and recognizable zombies of all time too. That I think that's another thing. I think it could possibly be the most recognizable zombie next to, you know, Night of the Living Dead Cemetery. Yeah, man. Yeah, I think yeah. this one probably is. Um, you know, and to add to that, it, zombies that actually look dead, like actual corpse-like zombies. I, I think it's really kind of the first one to do that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the effects in this film are awesome. One thing I really liked about this movie, too, is that, uh, I mean, it had been done, I think, previously before you see zombies coming out of the ground. But this one just said it's so hauntingly, and I think it's so memorable, too. And, you know, I don't think it had been done as well 
before this film mm-hmm. from what I can really amazing. But I think this movie, this film is on the list because of what it did for Italian zombie films. I mean, really, I don't, there, I mean, there was some before that, but this one is the one that spawned a whole trend of basically kind of ripoffs <laughs> in a way. But, uh, yeah, this, this movie is just fantastic. Great score. Everything. Lucio Fulci, but the effects, I think that's what it's really noted for. In at number 41 is Robin Hardy's 1973 The Wicker Man. This was now, actually the one where we was battling over for a long time. Yeah, because I battled another movie that's up on the list. And I yeah, won. Ha 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 ha. There's, there's a lot of things that you can say about The Wicker Man. Uh, we could probably spend a lot of time on it. But, you know, this movie right here has always been cited to be one of the best British horror films you know, ever made. And I really have to agree. It's just fantastic. I think it's just so noted. You know, this one has been, this one spawned a lot of ripoffs. Um, just, and it's influential in that sake, for that sake right there. You know, this movie has been ripped off tons and tons of times. Yeah. Um, but it's just a fantastic story and it's memorable, you know, and I think that's really what it comes down to. I mean, what else do you guys, Oh, you haven't seen it, JP. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> Jeremy, what do you say? Yeah, well, I well, I guess so. I don't know what else more to say about it. I've seen it once, like, seven years ago. Mm-hmm. So, I don't really remember. I mean, I think the influence is on British yeah. cinema. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's what it is. And the fact that this movie has been ripped off and, and, you know, multiple, multiple times and just copied throughout the years. I mean, it spawned a remake, I believe, in the mid-2000s? Yeah. Or? Yeah. Something like that, which like was fucking Nicolas Cage. But yeah, this one is, you know... <laughs> and a sequel. I mean, it obviously didn't... You know, there had been... A, obviously, there's a ton of British horror films before this that were very notable and stuff, but this one is duly noted and considered to be one of the best ones. Coming in at number 40, we have one of the best zombie films ever. That is Return of the Living Dead from 1985. Directed by Dan O'Bannon. Yeah great cast tom matthews linnea quigley uh this one kind of the punk thing going on there seen that a bunch of times since then the running zombies i mean is it the first i don't know if it's the first but you know the talking the 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 way they did the zombies it was definitely the first you know yeah i i think that's definitely what it's notable for is the I don't know. There had to have been running zombies before, but this one I always think of being kind of the first for that. I mean, when you combine the run with the more, like, you know, bring more paramedic, like the whole style of them, that style had never been done before this. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's very influential for the fact of being a zomcom also. Yeah. Which I think is a lot like of done to death now. But was oh, there yeah. a zomcom before 85? Probably. There probably was. I mean, Not as notable. There was definitely a lot more serious zombie films up until this point, but this one <laughs> really kind of solidified itself as it had it a lot of wasn't more low budget on. than it was really low budget, wasn't it? A lower budget. Oh yeah, this movie is really low budget for sure. But I think everything in this film is done properly. You know, effects, the comedy, um, the music, and just the characters alone. Like this one had a lot of different types of things going on compared to a lot of zombie films prior. Mm-hmm. You know. So I think that's why it sticks out and it's very influential and in the aspects for the Zomcom aspect of things. So number 39 in the top 50 most influential films of the last 50 years 
we have the U.S. remake of The Ring from the year 2002. This one absolutely kicked off the J-horror remake craze, for sure. Oh, yeah. Then we got The Grudge and all... What else? The Grudge. I think that's what we were talking about. It was a whole other... You know, Juon... Or Juon. Um, Ringu was, you know... I think we were arguing about maybe that should have been on the list, but I think it's more of the fact that, you know, it influenced the Americans to start remaking these Asian horror films. Yeah. And, and I and actually, this is the one that set it off. Well, it, it's not just the Asian films too. I fought for this one to be higher on the list. The, this was the film that kind of took the idea of taking a successful foreign film and remaking it for a U.S. audience, which we're still seeing today with things oh, yeah. like housebound. Yeah. And, you know, all the other remakes. Let the right one see, in. Let the well, right which one hasn't in. materialized yet. But I think that's a very, very good point. This is kind of that film. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that's why I was fighting for it to be yeah. higher on the list because it really did shape the next decade of, of horror in terms of remakes. I mean, we see them all the time. A lot of South Korean films, a lot of, um, you know, French films, just a lot of everything gets remade in Martyrs. Martyrs is being remade right now. It's a trend we're still seeing. And it all started with The Ring in 2002. Yeah. Yeah, there's no denying that. It's a good this argument, tre- JP. This started, this started the trend for for lazy people. I think just remake. Don't check out the original. We'll just remake them over here and so you don't have to read the film. Yeah. Because <laughs> what we were discussing before. But that is a really good point. I think, yeah, 2002. I mean, how many foreign films have been remade in the last 13 years. Well, remakes wasn't even that yeah, done back then. Like they didn't really start until 2003 and so on. But I mean, it all, it, it kind of, this was the Kickstarter and how exactly how many have we seen? Well, foreign I'm not talking remakes. I'm talking foreign. Into, yeah, films. I know how many have we seen. It's insane. Yeah, there's tons. So it's a really, really valid point. So yeah, if you're wondering people out there, why the ring is on there that's exactly the reason yeah okay coming in at number 38 is alexander aja's 2003 switchblade romance or also yeah. known as high tension yeah jeremy do you want to kickstart this one all right so this is another one that i fought high and low for because when you think about it 2003 the movie pre- pretty much got made 2002 and it really is the film that started off the french extreme movement that absolutely took over uh the united states with uh you know saw and therefore sure you had fever 2002 but i don't really think that could, would be considered you know influenced by french extreme films i think everything after saw we started to see uh a pretty high influence um from high tension so you know high tension it launched you know martyrs and them and frontiers and inside and uh of course here in the united states it launched saw and i think it'd be huge widely successful on dvd here in the states i think that's the one of the main um you know reasons the film you know is talked about like it is because it did so well on the home on the home market so just because it you know it started the french extreme movement which is you know highly highly influential and you know seen aspects in so many other films that i think it should be on the list pretty much where it's at in my opinion i do agree though this movie was it was really kind of i mean it wasn't huge huge but it was everywhere 
Yeah. When it came out. And like like you said, it was really big on DVD. And it, it is true because it was like in all the video stores. And it was like, what's this film? You know? So it definitely had, you know, its name out there. But yeah, yeah it definitely started off that French um, extreme films for sure. It's a good point. I mean, sure, there was, uh, you know, a few, one or two before, you know, I uh, Stand Alone oh. and Claire Denise's film. But this is like really like exploded it and even i stand alone is an early french extreme next up coming in at number 37 we have eli roth's directorial debut with cabin fever from the year 2002 mm-hmm. yeah this one well, was might- really indie right like it, it's an indie, indie film that hit the festival circuit it's one of the first story you know success stories in the festival circuit right horror I mean, it, it yeah it, it did it did big things uh, it came out of left field. Nobody was expecting it, and it kind of shook up the horror world. And it really, you know, personally speaking, it influenced me a lot because it kind of got me back into horror when I first seen it because it was something different that I hadn't seen before, like the gore, the grossness, the cabin. It was all it was all just good stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do definitely agree with um, this one being super big on the indie circuit because you know around 2002. I mean, this is when. Horror was kind of dead. It was a little bit dead, and I think a lot of more. I mean, especially with you know the studio films and and shit like that. Especially studio Um, films. So this is where the uprising of the indie film basically became like a factor. You know, these are the films that were getting. These are the films that kind of reckon they were being recognized, and I think films like Cabin Fever. You know, once it got out there, and other indie filmmakers and filmmakers in general saw this, and they go, Jesus Christ, like look at this little independent film that can, you know, do big things and it influenced a shitload. I mean, you look at even right after this movie came out in the years to come, like how many indie films were just dropping left and right. Like, Hey, we can do this too. Therefore, this is the influence that it had on the indie filmmaker. And not this movie was good all around. Like it actually had, you know, a decent cast to it. Like Jordan Ladd was in the film. Ryder strong Uh, for an independent film. That's pretty cool. I mean, I guess they were, especially for like his first film. Yeah, this was exactly. fresh off of working for trauma and shit. You know what I mean? Exactly. Mm-hmm. And uh, in the effect, like everything about this film was really entertaining and nasty. Actually, yeah, it's pretty gross. And <laughs> but, the, I mean, memorable ending too. You know? Yeah, and a memorable ending. Memorable but ending. but yeah, I think this one really definitely got into the uh, the heads of filmmakers and went fuck. I can do that too. Yeah. And then and we he, just see the surgence of these films come out. Yeah. And Eli Roth is one of the bigger success stories for somebody who made just a couple films. Like he just exploded in popularity and he really kind of got in the the big studio system in terms of he's just in, right? Like he has he produces a t- ton of films, like he's everywhere. He's a very popular person for having not a very big resume and you know, that's that's something people strive for, right? I mean, that's him himself is influential, but I guess. That, I've always thought that Eli Roth was such a interesting story because, yeah, his his director directed films isn't like you know Huge. he doesn't have like an abundance of films there. But man, you know, quality. for somebody, it's so much popularity. It's I think it more it is about quality. But yeah, Eli Roth is an interesting story too. Mm-hmm. Very hated for some reason because it's like frat boy persona, I guess. Probably. I mean, I think it's also due to the fact that people are hating on him because he became or he became relatively huge from nothing. Yeah. You yeah, know, well, it's a lot of people genuinely like he's a good looking guy and he's successful and he's only done a little bit. I think that does rub people the wrong way. Right. Mm-hmm. So next on the list for the top 
50 most influential horror films of the last 50 years, we have The Omen from the year 1976. JP, you fought hard for this one. I didn't fight that hard for it, considering I'd never seen it. Oh, yeah. You still fought <laughs> hard for it, though. I didn't. I didn't. Directed by Richard Donner. Yeah. It's interesting. It's interesting. I always thought this was such a interesting flick. Well, um, this one's influential for the fact that it's Damien. the Damien, the son of the devil type thing, right? I mean, mm-hmm. that's the Antichrist. Come on. You know, this was very huge in the 70s. There was obviously a lot of these type of films, even before The Omen. Yeah, George, but... you know, Gregory Peck. You know, fucking yeah. To Kill a Mockingbird. He was pretty, he's a pretty well-known guy. Yeah, like these Antichrist type stories, you know, they've been done a little bit. But I think this is the film that kind of got it right out there, kind of got that storyline out there. And it became massive. Like this was actually a kind of a scary film. If you watch this in 1976, I think it fucking influenced a lot of people. Yeah. You know, in that aspect, because like I said, the the storyline wasn't necessarily that original, but it was done right. Mm -hmm. And it's recognized for that reason, because not only great cast, but this movie is it's a little fucked up when you really think about it. Just a little fucked up. Yeah. I mean, it it definitely has its moments in it, but it's Uh just it's a great piece of cinema. And there's so many Omen ripoffs after this that are very similar. This even spawned a remake, of course, in the 2000s, which I might. It came out 6-6 of 2006. I'll never forget that release date. Yeah. And that movie is fucking it's a bad remake. Yeah, it's It's pretty shitty. Terrible, terrible cast. I hated the cast in that film. But, you know, this one definitely has its mark on that type of uh, subgenre. And it made a franchise. Mm -hmm. It definitely it spawned a franchise, too. And I will say The Omen 2 is it's a fantastic film. So, But yeah, just for the, you know, the aesthetic of the film. Yeah. You know, The Omen is, it is what it is, and it's it's very memorable, and it influenced a lot of, <laughs> I was, I hate using the word ripoffs, but it's true, though. You know, yeah. it's, it's just kind of that staple film. You know, it's another one of those. It's like, it's like The Exorcist, you know, in a way. You know, The Exorcist mm-hmm. seems to be that staple film that thousands of films are ripped off from. You know, so I, I find the omen it fits that kind of category too. So in at number thirty-five is nineteen eighty-one's John Landis's An American Werewolf in London. Yeah, another film that has phenomenal makeup, which is uh, pr- which is mostly, <laughs> mostly noted for. You know, American yeah. Werewolf in London doesn't overly have the craziest uh, story. story to it, yeah. but I think the structure of the film is is fantastic. But this one is mostly noted. For having probably the best werewolf transformation, yeah. not even you know, probably, literally the best. I think it's kind of unanimous in in terms of everybody kind of agrees. You never really some of the best makeup ever, though. No, it is really it's amazing. Really good. <laughs> yeah, I think this won an Oscar too. It did. It won. It won for, for best for, makeup for best effects. Yeah. Yeah. Deservedly, of course. Well, of course, yeah. See, that's the thing. It's like you never, you would never see that today. It's kind of sad. Makes me well, sad. Yeah, it's, you know, Rich Baker, who I believe actually won for the awards, right? Yeah, he won. Or for the best makeup. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's absolutely amazing. His resume is ridiculous. But this just kind of solidified, this film solidified itself as being kind of like, you know, films want to be like this you know if you're doing practical effects this is kind of that that plateau film yeah this is you this want is, to be like this this is what you base your film off of yeah or this I mean, is what you try to strive to be 
something is like a better way to say it. I've always thought that this movie is so the, the structure of American Werewolf in London is so odd. You know, oh, yeah. have you have you guys watched it recently? Like when I you saw it the once movie, in like two thousand and four. It's actually kind of a strange film at times. It's a really strange film that you know is played off to be a, like a like a horror comedy, right? Mm-hmm. You know, but it has like these really odd elements to it, and I, I don't know. It's a very memorable film. It's not my favorite werewolf film in the, in the world, but the, also you know the black comedy. Um, John Landis, for one, I mean, pretty much influenced a million horror fans to care about somebody Maybe. who's literally only yeah. done that one thing in a couple Masters of Horror episodes. It's crazy. We, I mean, we talked about that in the Masters of Horror episode. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, John Landis is so ingrained look what in he's done. horror pop culture and really hasn't done a whole lot. But not even for pop culture and horror pop culture, but just in general. I mean, he has a good resume. <laughs> he yeah. does, but I always thought it was so interesting that John Landis is so noted for as being a master of horror. Mm-hmm. I just think you look like, at his resume, it's not really that. And his horrific. one horror film is a comedy. <laughs> yeah, in a sense, yeah, it is. I just you know, think because he managed, he managed to put some awesome effects to the werewolf, but you know, I just think because he's <laughs> like a comedy. I think it's just because he's remembered for you know, like Animal House and the Blues yeah, Brothers. That, that has nothing to do with horror. I understand that, but it's those films that people don't see him directing a horror film because he they just remember him as directing films like that that when they but see I don't know, I, no, but I don't they know do remember film. him for directing horror that's what we're saying it's weird that they do remember him for directing horror considering he he's really known for his other stuff like animal house yeah mm-hmm. yeah it, it is actually quite strange but i mean it's simply due to the fact that this movie that he directed is so fucking good. notable yeah and good it's so notable it's good. and that's what it is and it's so good so you know therefore it is what it is, right? After that, we have number 34, which is Don Coscarelli's Phantasm from 1979. I fought hard for this one. This film was created in a multiple-year span. Like, Don Coscarelli and his friends grinded. If anything, it's influenced people to do that. Go get your friends. Film film anything you can, anytime you can, and just make a film. And he made Phantasm, which happens to be one of the better horror films ever created the nightmare logic i still think people are influenced by that the music the tall man it's a great villain the jawa thing is i mean star wars uh, <laughs> uh sorry to tell you jp star wars came out about it was well, like i was saying that this. they yeah. were this was influenced by star wars oh, okay the other way around but honestly don coscarelli swears that they were filming this with the Jawa people when that, you know, was the trailer mm. came out or whatever. Who knows if he's telling the truth or not? Yeah. I mean, it's really hard to, you know, to discredit him too. Because if he says that he filmed this over years, who knows, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nobody will ever fucking know. But it's not the point. This movie is very memorable. And f- for all those reasons that JP mentioned, I think the one cool thing about Phantasm that I always remember is the, the sphere, that's such yeah, an interesting yeah. thing that's really never been – up so until this creative. point, it had never been done before. But everything about this film had never been done before. And I think this definitely was a film that spawned a lot of films that tried to kind of mimic those elements that this film you know, portrayed. Uh-huh. The, the whole nightmare uh, type reality and interesting characters. But this, the whole franchise is just brilliant. It's almost like it's America's Suspiria. Mm, it, I wouldn't push it that far, but I can see that, I guess. 
What do you mean? I mean, I mean, they're completely different. Yeah. I'm just saying. And- yeah, I, I, I'm just saying in in what it represents and kind of like what it is. Like it just, I feel like there's a uh, parallel to like the type of film that Suspiria is. Of course, they're obviously different stories and things like that. I know that, but mm-hmm. it's interesting. And this, to me, this is a better film. But what you think, Phantasm's better film than Suspiria? Absolutely. Hmm. Hmm. I, I not gonna highly disagree, but yeah. <laughs> even though, even though I'm actually wearing a Phantasm hat as we speak, <laughs> which is kind of odd, but no, I think Phantasm is one of those films that just I think people try to kind of kind of copy a little bit, but mm-hmm. yeah, failed miserably, man. This is one that it's so memorable, and that's why it's influential on this uh, on horror. Hey guys, how's it going? Tyler calling again for the message boards. Calling in for episode 50 on the most influential horror film of all time. Calling you right now April 25th. Can't wait to find out what my next tattoo is going to be Monday. I've been dying for weeks. I already got the time book, just dying to find out what it's going to be. But anyways, back to the point. I've been bouncing back and forth for a month. What it's going to be. I, I, went from, I went from jobs and went to Halloween and I was so certain I was gonna say, I was just gonna say Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but you know what? I think someone's gonna say every one of those movies I just named. So keeping in the same vein of the reason why I thought Texas would have been the best one, I'm gonna argue the most influential horror film of all time is not only my favorite movie of all time, but that movie is 1979's Phantasm. And I'm gonna tell you why. Because that is a low-budget movie made from the heart. That movie is held together from paper clips. It's whatever that guy can find, even paper clips, man. And the thing about it, not only is it a phenomenal film, but it's really, I feel like it really elevates low-budget filmmaking and gave people hope, like Texas Chainsaw did, gave people like Evil Dead did, but Evil, but Phantasm, that takes a whole little, it's like a it's sci-fi blended in with like some type of mystery. There's so much going on. And I really feel like that influence you that you can do what you want having dick for money. It took these guys almost two years to film this movie on the weekends when they had a free time, but they did what they want. There's so much going on in that. Don Koss, he didn't give a fuck. He, he wanted to make his movie. He didn't care what anyone else thought. It's not some straightforward movie like Halloween was. It's not a strip movie like Texas Chainsaw. I love it, Halloween level, but they're, they're they're pretty straightforward. They did what they did. They were great for the time. But I think, as far as being independent, taking your own views, and really going out there, putting yourself out there as a filmer, Phantasm did it. Not only is that series that series is great, he finally got like he he did what he could with the money. Really brought really put himself out there, and I think given like that set the precedent. I don't think that all these like there all these out there low budget movies. I think this is the first. This is one of the first things that happened that someone just really made that got popular, was made on a shoestring budget, did it all themselves. Like Don Ka, like I'm sure you guys already know this. You of course do the retrospect, but Don Ka made them all. He edited it, did all the cut. Like his, he enlisted his friends along with us to, to do all the costumes, casted his friends. Got who he good to do on this. Got who he good to get on this movie. Did put his whole heart into it. Really put himself out there, and I think he had a great career because of it. It influenced lots of people. Hope you guys see where I'm coming from. Number thirty-three in the top fifty of the most influential horror films of the last fifty years. We have 
Mario Bava's A Bay of Blood from the year 1971, which is a movie I haven't seen. So, Yeah, A Bay of Blood is is duly noted as being, you know, it's always classified as being like a giallo type deal, which, yeah, in a sense. But it has so much slasher elements to it. And I think this movie influenced a lot of American slashers. I mean, obviously. 71, that's so early. The kills have been mimicked to death. You know, I mean. I mean, come on, man. Like Friday the 13th, you know, I mean, they they basically mimic some of the mm-hmm. kills that were read from this film um, in part two. Uh, but, um, but I mean, it's just the whole structure of this film. Everything has been ripped off. Cinematography, kills, just the whole style. You know, this is 1971. This is w- so years, early. years before. Black Christmas. What we know as, yeah, you know, well, Black Christmas 74, but then, you know, we take a film like Halloween and even Friday the 13th. They, these are years and years later. Yeah. Many years to be influenced by Bay of Blood. And it, it's kind of a shame that a lot of people, more people haven't seen this film. You guys need to check it out. But, mm-hmm. you know, it's simply for those elements, man. All those elements have been mimicked and taken right from a Bay of Blood. It's it's one of those films that when you watch, you'll go, holy fuck, I've seen this all before, but this is years before. Mm-hmm. That's why it's on the list. Man, I have to check this out. Yeah. Everyone tells me to watch it. I just haven't got around to should probably check that out. <laughs> you know, and it's it's Mario Bava, so you know you're yeah. gonna get a good film too, right? But mm-hmm. it's really interesting when you watch it, especially after you've seen a lot of the films that have you know, like I said, I hate using the word rip off, but like mimicked or whatever. You go, Wow, that's interesting. <laughs> You'll be able to pick out moments. Mm-hmm. So Hey guys, Derek Harrigan. This is my pick for episode fifty. My pick for the most influential horror film is Mario Bava's 1971 film, Twitch of the Death Nerve, also known as A Bay of Blood. This film inspired a generation that would later make the genre that we would all know and love as the slasher genre. Even one film in particular mirrors some of the death scenes of this film. Any Bava film could be used really for most influential but this is the one that really affected me with the history surrounding it thank you guys and keep up the good work wicked awesome in at number 32 from 1977 is david lynch's eraser head yeah the movie that started the midnight movie trend that's why it's pretty influential, just because of the fact that after Eraserhead, we started to see you know more of these midnight movies. I don't know if it started midnight movies. I think what Eraserhead did for midnight movies was make it kind of more mainstream. accessible, yeah, a little more mainstream. It made it a was thing. Midnight movies, yeah. It made it made it more of a. It made it a, yeah, exactly. It made it a thing for people to go and do midnight movies. Were always around, of course. Yeah, we but, had like Pink yeah. Flamingos, and there was other films and stuff. But Eraserhead comes out, and it just like everybody is going to see these films now. Yeah. You know, it was the film that kind of brought people into the midnight theaters, you know? So, but what a fucking weird one. <laughs> it's just such awesome cinematography, man. Ah, oh, it's a beautiful movie. It really is. And you can tell this movie has been, is oh, influenced yeah. tons of directors. I mean, so, I mean, look at freaking Tim Burton. Between like yeah. this, this and German expressionism, it's like that's Tim Burton. I've read like a, a lot of, 
I've read a lot of articles and, you know, certain things that people have, that have cited this film for being a huge influence on the, on the way they make films and, you know, the way they shoot things. And I was like, wow, Eraserhead always gets noted. And that's why it's mm-hmm. on the list. It's yeah. one of those films that always people mention. And, you know, for filmmaking and, of course, the whole Midnight thing, this one's a very notable film in, in cinema history. Not just in the last 50 years, but I think of just of all time. Oh, yeah, I think if we did a list of the most influential films of all times, I think this one would still be on the list. Mm-hmm. Just for those reasons alone that we talked about. And, and I, I also have to say that this movie right here is probably – I mean I've seen a lot of bizarre films. David Lynch's films in general are really yeah. bizarre. But this one has to be one and, of the most bizarre films ever created. Yeah, and, it, and it doesn't only achieve that through story and, and, and uh, video. The audio just adds a level, the, a, a level of depth that a lot of movies don't – not the even whole soundtrack today, can't even is touch. created. Yeah, it's all created by that industrial sound. Yeah, like, like, and the thing is, that's very um, interesting to me because, like, I live in an industrial town. Like, mm-hmm. that's what we have. We have mills. We, I live around these sounds all the fucking time. So when I see this on a film, I'm just like, wow, I really understand that. Yeah, you know, and it creates such an interesting atmosphere, and it's just it's so original. This yeah, movie, like, like nothing had been done like this before, man. Like, it's so strange. It's just a level of depth that most films don't have. Mm-hmm. Just, just the sound design is amazing. Also, the sound design is just on a different level. Oh yeah, you know. So, coming in at number thirty-one, we have Stanley Kubrick's The Shining from the year nineteen eighty. What can we say about The Shining that would only take a couple minutes? <laughs> uh, you know, it's just a great, great piece of cinema. Tracking shots, man. Yeah. Fucking dolly shots and the tracking shots. I think on a technical level. Fucking amazing. On a technical yeah. level, it's influenced very many people. Ugh. Not so much tracking, but dolly shots. Holy fuck, man. It's good. Just that scene of Danny on the tricycle is just... Oh, yeah. That's an amazing scene. But actually, the whole, the whole film, the whole set of that film is amazing, too. Yeah. Like how they did things and stuff. But I don't know. I think this is uh, kind of a, a great staple for, you know like psychological horror. I mean, there's a lot of different, this film falls into a lot of different categories. Mm-hmm. You know, I've had this in ghost top list, you know, it's psychological, you know, there, it, there's so many elements to this film. Could be a drama. Yeah. I wouldn't even know how to categorize it to be honest. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a strange one, but I mean, this movie's noted for being just a great piece of cinema. Oh yeah. yeah. You what know, you and I think it did influence a lot of, Kubrick. but I think, Kubrick in general, I mean, all of his films have influenced multiple filmmakers in no, no, tons Kubrick, of different genres. Kubrick just has has a wide a range of of tools. You know, he's directed you know sci fi movies in two thousand. Oh, and Moots talked about this crazy when making this list, like about how Kubrick's films are so different. Like he's yeah. done so many different. Like I've never really seen a director be able to like nail so many different types of films. They're all different. Every movie he makes is a fucking masterpiece, you know, Mm -hmm. mainly because he takes fucking 400 shots per scene, but it's like, oh my God. Such a perfectionist. I mean, literally, the the most perfectionist of anybody, probably. He ran Shelly Duvall out of show business. That should fucking tell you something. It's (laughs) It's so fucking anal when it comes to filmmaking, man. But yeah, I think this film... You know, just as, you know, as a film, um, it's just absolutely 
intriguing. There's so many things about this film that I think people would love to accomplish in their careers Mm -hmm. that you probably will never do. You know, everyone wants to make a film like The Shining. And I think that's why it sits there on the list so high, because it's such an amazing film on so many different levels that you really could talk about this film all day. You know, for the simple fact that it doesn't even fall into one category, we Mm -hmm. can't even think of how many like psychological horror. You know, I mean, really, it definitely is. But for me, The Shining, every time I watch The Shining, I literally find shit in that film. That I swear I didn't notice yeah. before. There's something odd about that film that just seems to, you know, I think the more and more you watch it, it's just the more you love that film. I, I can't even imagine someone, oh, I don't really like The Shining. <laughs> Did you ever I hear really that? don't like watching The Shining all that often. I love the film. It's just not a rewatch for me. Mm-hmm. That's Do you interesting. you think it's like started the Stephen King craze? It's too exhausting. Yeah, and Jeremy's correct. You know, the, it's one of the films that kind of you know kicked off the big Stephen King craze as well. Obviously, yeah. Carrie, but The Shining was one of those big ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Salem's Lot was just before that too. I mean, he had a couple films just before, mm-hmm. but this is an early. I think this is probably the big because Carrie never got his. Uh, it wasn't got. It didn't really get his notoriety until later. until later. I think yeah. right. It wasn't actually that respected when it came out, from what I. Yeah. Call, but The Shining is definitely that huge, huge adaptation. Yeah, but the critics didn't like The it. Shining either. When it first Stephen King out. didn't like The Shining. Yeah, but I think that's why the critics didn't like The Shining. I've had this argument before because yeah, I remember reading a lot of critics criticizing the shit out of this film because of Stephen King saying he didn't like. It. Do you think they're just going to go against that? Oh wait a minute, the author of this, you know, the story doesn't. So even why like are they the doing film. it now though? So they're going to give it shit. Well, because well, I, Stephen King even came out and said, you know, it's actually, you know, it's not that bad. Yeah. You know, it is what it is. It's a he. I think he came to terms with the fact that Kubrick took the idea of the film and created his own piece. He didn't adapt mm-hmm. it in full. And I think at the time, Stephen King maybe was a little butthurt because what he wrote, of course, he was, was, it was so personal to be the to him. adaptation. And not he only that, adaptation. Not yeah. only that, but. You know, as as it's known, Stephen King put a lot of himself, the father, the alcoholic thing, in in the story of The Shining. Exactly. So it was, it was even more personal to him than it was some so of personal. his other films. Yeah, exactly, and I can totally see where Stephen King's coming from, man. If Absolutely. that is about, if that's totally about you, and this filmmaker takes that idea and kind of changes up a little bit, I, you know, I can I can see where he's coming from. Be a little butthurt, but I think it has a lot to do. Stephen King says, "I'm not a big fan." The critics agree. He later comes out and says, you know what? Actually, it's a pretty good film. Um, and then the critics kind of change their mind. But, I mean, really, it's about the fans here. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we're the ones that, you know, kind of respected it and it, it made it what it was. I mean, if no fans liked it, do you think the film would be where it is today? No. No. Do you think Room 237 would have came out? No. No, exactly. You wouldn't have documentaries based on the film. But I think this one is just... A film, it's like another one of those high staple films that mm-hmm. a lot of filmmakers want to make, but really can't. Next on the list of the top most influential horror films of the last 30 years, we are at number 30. Oh, yeah, 20 down, 30 to go. We have Wesley Craven's 1972 film, The Last House on the Left. What an angry movie! Yeah, it's brutal. And this is, you know, this 72. is 72, it's like early brutal. This is one of the films that I'm not actually a huge fan of. Um, 
I, I don't I really don't like to stress this, but I'm a big fan of like rape revenge films. I know that just sounds I didn't so fucking bad. I, I watch a lot of them because I've said I've noted this many, many times. I find the ultimate revenge is rape. You know, if you can get your revenge after you've been oh, I just you know, Wait, rape the- is so vile and terrible. Mm-hmm. You know, revenge from being raped is just the ultimate revenge to me, man. So I think that's why I'm intrigued by these films. And I find they work so well, generally, you know, this one right here is a little too goofy for me. Um, well, I find the music, it's just off-putting. I find the tone of this film switches too much for me. And, you know, I don't think it's a terrible, terrible film. I think with a couple, you know, I, there's a couple missteps in this one that, you know, doesn't really do it for me. But we're talking about influential. Yeah. And I uh, agree I think this with one those is, things that you said because I, I've always kind of said that too, that the the comedy and stuff is is too too much it, it doesn't make sense but the terror and the horror when it's happening it is some it is some brutal stuff and i think that's mm-hmm. where the influence comes from is is those moments of of pure horror the krug and the gang after the rape and they're all standing around and you know that guy said in the documentary they're looking at their hands it's covered in grass they feel disgusted and you as a viewer feel disgusted and that yeah. feeling has you know this obviously probably isn't the first rape revenge film um but well, this is based off the amar Bergman film right yeah, yeah i mean i think that's where whatever is that it yeah yeah, yeah where west craven got the idea from but this is probably the first duly noted brutal rape exactly. revenge film that's what out I there and I, this is why it makes listen so high because let's face it this came out in 1972 it's 2015 how many rape revenge films uh-huh. and even directors and a bit, tons of people would fully admit they got their inspiration or the idea or whatever from this film. It's yeah. a staple film. And Wesley Craven, you know, said that, you know, post Vietnam, he was a very young, angry person and he <laughs> like everybody put that else. into his film and it, it, it definitely shows. And okay. Last house on the left, the last house. Come on. That, how many, how many damn times do we see that? <laughs> yeah. You know, and actually, there's one thing that we haven't mentioned yet. This movie also has probably one of the best taglines of all time or promotional pieces, I should say. You know, mm-hmm. the repeating of it's only a movie. Yeah. It's only a movie. <laughs> Which I did find out recently that I think that was lifted from a Herschel Gordon Lewis film. Hmm. Actually, you know what? You are correct. You are correct. I believe it's actually from Blood Feast, isn't it? Yeah, so I, I remember we talked about that, and then later I watched a documentary on something, and I was like, oh, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> we was crediting the wrong person. <laughs> that, that is true. That is true. I, forgot, I forgot about the uh, the Blood Feast. Yeah, that just when you said Herschel Gordon Lewis, I was like, oh, wait a minute, Blood Feast, totally use that. But it doesn't matter. Last House on the Left spawned a million films just like it, and also spawned a ton of films that have The Last House. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. On the Titans. something, you know, it like – it spawns so much ripoffs and just influence films. It, it it really definitely deserves on this list. Mm-hmm. I mean, really. I mean, oddly enough, David Hess years later ended up starring in another film directed by Rogero Diodato by the name of The House on the Edge of the Park. Yeah, you know, yeah. It, which he's practically playing the same fucking character. <laughs> you know, the character is almost the same person in it, and it's just very kind of strange. It's uh-huh. not. You know, a fuck. Well, in a way, it's kind of a a rip off of Last House on the Left in a yeah. sense. Yeah, in a it's, sense, it's going for the same thing. 
it's trying there, to do there is, it's going through the notions of the same type of thing you know it's technically a rape revenge film in itself so um but yeah i mean what can we say this movie's just been it's noted <laughs> as being the staple rape revenge film yeah all right coming in at number 29 is Danny Boyle's 2002 film 28 Days Later. Ooh, you didn't say zombie. <laughs> God damn, is that ever a fucking argument? That thing still goes on and on. Yeah. yeah. Still. Still. I still see people saying, it's you know, not 28 a Days film. Later is, you know, well, oh, man, I remember when I did a, I did a list, uh, top 10 list or whatever, and where the fuck is 28 Days Later, great zombie film, like, it's, it's not on the list because it's not a fucking zombie film. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to go down this road again, but <laughs> this is this is an infected film playing out exactly like a zombie film. Infection, it's yeah, infection. virus film. Yeah, but I mean, it, it really is like the the fast infected. I mean, let, let's let's just say we are aware that they're not zombies, right? But to the mass population of the Earth. When this trailer came out and stuff, they're like, holy shit, zombies, and they're running fast. So it did influence the way that zombie films were done afterwards, even if it is not a zombie film itself. That's a good point. That's a good point. So that, that, that's kind of why it's on here for one, is is just the, the, the fast, brutal, quick cuts. It, it was a different thing that we hadn't seen in 2002. The fast pace of it, the, the in-your-face. It, it was just a little bit different and, and kind of came out of nowhere. Really character based too. Yeah, I mean, honestly, when was driven. when was the previous you know infection type zombie you know zombie ish film before Twenty Eight Days Later? Like, when was the the previous the previous notable one? <laughs> like, Crazies. like we're talking George Romero's, yeah, <laughs> like nineteen seventy two film or whatever it is. Yeah, that's what I'm saying, man. There wasn't a lot of like just infection type zombie films there's not that many in general really when you think about i mean it. most zombie film infection zombie they can all they're almost like full-blown zombie films this one is really it's actually a, like a viral film yeah mm-hmm. if yeah. you look at the storyline it's completely not a zombie film so I, I can't believe how many people misunderstand this movie mm-hmm. i think it's really kind of blatant in the storyline like i don't understand like uh well, it's yeah, like, haven't they, haven't they it's, seen the ending it's it it's they're like they're almost zombies except for the one factor they still do like they're still trying to tear your face off and eat you like exactly. that's kind of exactly you know what, but I mean? what we what we think is zombies is the dead coming back to life that is what that's this not is what i first to. think of when i think zombies i think shuffling around trying to eat you i don't really think about death right mm-hmm. away but, but I that's do understand the what main you're saying. Category, that's that, that's I, what to me. Mainly, that's the main point of what I know, a zombie is. We've had this argument before. Is is Jason is Friday Six a, a zombie film? No. When it's hell not. is full, the dead will walk the earth. Yeah. The dead. The dead. You know what I'm saying? It's like that's not infected. But fucking I think people, also man. you have to look at it like this: when somebody gets infected they are pretty much dead because they're no longer who they are their body their body might not be dead but they're they are dead as a as their hearts never stop beating but their hearts never stop beating know that the person that you knew they are dead and that's why people compare it to zombie films because i understand i'm not i'm not actually like retarded here (laughs) (laughs) but but you know what i'm saying it's just like i said though it's it's such it's that film that i always 
note as being the one that confuses the shit out of people and totally separates people into zombie and, and virus. It's like, you know, and I think that's, you know, it's just a very notable film for that, you know. So, I mean, that's not the, the exact reason why it's here, but great timing when it came out, too. I mean, this was something different. Early 2002, we noted before that early 2000s horror, horror films weren't doing that great. No. The 2002-2003 really we saw a, ch- a change. And exactly. films like and 28 these, Days Later is why. These are the films, and this is one of the reasons why it's on here, is because it, it came out at a time where it was it was a fucking game changer. Yeah, it set the template for the rest of the decade. You know, films exactly. like this. Exactly. There's a lot of films that, man, seriously, there's so many 28 Days Later ripoffs. There, there is a lot of viral type films yeah. that have come out after this film i would say it's a lot no there is there really is man i i have they're just not as notable so they kind of just very low budgets much not even they're not zombies they're the actual like virus films and stuff and coming in at number 28 we have dario argento's suspiria from the year 1977 Mm, suspiria (laughs) you know a lot of people always credit suspiria as being you know, that film that, you know, is it, for me, it's like one of the most beautiful films ever made. I agree. Visually, yeah. I, it's so outstanding. The effort that Argento put into lighting Color. and colors and just the the specific detail of scenes and the way they were shot and everything. It's just it's one of those films. You're just like, wow, you're just mesmerized by it. Yeah. Even if the storyline is a little contrived and a little confusing at times. But the storyline is there. This movie is absolutely beautiful. It is beautiful. Um, you know, it's not necessarily the very first film to use color schemes like this. Um, you know, you know, Mario Bava, uh, Blood and Black Lace is kind of similar, actually, which came out years and years before, prior. You can notice the reds and the blues and everything kind of pops out. I mean, it's like an Italian thing. I don't think there was too many other people that were doing films like this. But Suspiria is duly noted for being that type of film. But... It's influential because it's a beautiful horror film. It not only has an amazing score by Claudio Simonetti, um, cinematography, the kills are fucking fantastic. Suspiria is just one of the best films ever made, in my opinion. Yeah, it kind you know, of and- set the you know template for the style over substance film, like how how to do that. Really focus on the visuals and the sound and the colors and the blending and really a lot of. A lot of, especially independent filmmakers, really pull from Suspiria in, in terms mm-hmm. of what they are putting on the screen. Exactly. They exactly. attempt it. They they try to copy it, but they really don't succeed. And that just you know goes to show how awesome Suspiria is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, Suspiria is one of those films too that I always find interesting when you talk with people, and they're like, "Where do you put Suspiria?" And like what kind of category do you put Suspiria in? Like what kind of ty- what kind of film is it? I've heard people call it Giallo, which well, I Jeremy called it a Giallo a couple episodes ago, and we, we I know I don't think it, I don't think yeah I don't I'm not convinced that it's a Giallo, but then you know the movie's more supernatural than anything. Yeah, which you know that, I mean you know that's kind of what it is. It's like a supernatural witch story, but it kind of falls into like all these different type of categories, which is interesting in itself again it's kind of like you know the shining it fits all these different type of categories it separates itself from everything at the end of the day it's a very notable film at the end of the day it's a horror film yeah exactly 
Exactly. But, you know, even to categorize things is always nice. What kind of horror film is it? You know, when you say horror film, it's so vague. It's -hmm. like, but I want to know more. I want to know where this, like, what kind of film am I going to be watching? Yeah, but at the same time, when you say something is a true horror film, people know what they're getting into because that's, that's, it's, you know, there's plenty of films that I say all the time, that's a real horror film. Mm -hmm. I think Suspiria also is very influential in the fact of making almost art house type films. Mm-hmm. You know, there's been a lot of artsy films before it and stuff, but this one right here just kind of sets the bar, in my opinion. It really kind of elevated the status of making an artsy film. You know, and we have noted many times that this movie more focuses on, you know, visual than actual story a little bit. I think the story could be a little better in it. The most but definitely. then again, but then again, there is also two other parts to this story. You have to remember that. It is a trilogy. So there is things that are explained in Inferno and, and, and so on. So, um, but yeah. yeah, I mean, really, it's a fantastic piece of art. Mm-hmm. Really. All right. The next film on the list of the top 50 most influential horror films of the last 50 years is 1987's The Lost Boys. Sparkly Vampires. That's what Mood says. <laughs> yes. <laughs> or the, what was it? Uh, a the Pretty Boy Vampires? The Pretty Vampires. vampires. Yeah. The pretty <laughs> vampires. <laughs> The sexy vampires. The sexy yeah. vampires. You know, to a lot of people, that's a really, really bad thing. Because, I mean, let's face it, man. You know, do we have Twilight and these other real fancy fucking vampire films? And if we don't have The Lost Boys, maybe. Maybe. Who knows? I think that's a to say. I think the, um, I think the, the point of The Lost Boys is that uh, how many vampire films before The Lost Boys were like the lost boys mm. vampire films None were many. generally None. very dark and serious and you know almost gothy you know yeah. obviously there was very some dracula the lost boys, like you know very exactly. old school exactly old school vampire films i think the lost boys kind of brought a whole new element to vampires I and mean, it made it elegant and it made it beautiful you know, it's a total. The Lost Boys is not even comparable to like vampire films from before. It's so different and odd. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that's what separates them. And Joel Schumacher, in my opinion, did a great job with this movie. I know a lot of people. I cannot believe how many people, even to this day, tell me that they can't stand this film. And <laughs> it's I'm literally myself, in my going, top prob- ten. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking, man, you, I don't know if they saw this film way later in life. They just didn't understand it because I think a timing, a film like this, if you see it at a certain point in your life, whether it be earlier or later, will have a different effect on you. I think if you watch The Lost Boys after watching something like Twilight, you'd have a totally different reaction to it. But if you watch The, the Lost Boys in 1987, 1988, you're going, this is awesome. That's a little fucking different. Yeah. I've probably different. seen The Lost Boys in like 95, and I loved it ever since. So the point is The Lost Boys paved the way for a lot of different type of vampire films. It just kind of, it's almost like that new modern it's like the mo- it's like that staple for the modern vampire film, you know. Yeah. You know, it's it's not using those old gothic elements. It just it created characters that were like people and like they lived among. I mean, obviously these elements have been done before, but it's just a lot different. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It's almost like the the vampires are like portrayed as is almost like in a junkie sort of way where they where they're living and like Santa. Carla or whatever it's called. So like near dark, but not as 
but it's well, they came out in the same year too. You know, yeah. you use the word junkie, but then I I think of when I when I think of the Lost Boys, I almost think glamour too. It's yeah, weird. Well, they live kind of slummy, but they're almost glam. It's almost like glamour scum. It, it is. Strange, it is. But I, I'm saying I'm saying more of like the Michael when he first starts turning. You know what I mean? Like he's he's down and he's like got sunglasses on. He's all like hungover looking and shit like that. Um, yep. But yeah, I mean, totally. Like the the way that the film is set up with the it, the 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 pack and how they just have everything. Yeah, it definitely glamorizes. It makes you. It may, shit. It makes me. I'll, I'll join them. I'll be like, hell yeah. I'll, <laughs> let me in, dog. <laughs> they're, you know, they're underdog seen, cavern and shit. It's dope. Yeah, and eighty-seven was an interesting year for vampire films. So I'm not entirely sure which ones came out first that year. But um, didn't Near Dark come out the same year? It came out months after The Lost Boys and was heavily overshadowed by The Lost Boys. And I think that's why Near Dark was kind of a flop when it came out. And even with fans, a lot of people don't know of Near Dark that know of Lost Boys because Lost Boys is still remain to overshadow it, kind of. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And didn't Vamp come around about the same time too, didn't it? Yeah, I believe so. I believe Vamp. So there was all these kind of notable films that we know you know, for modern vampire films, they're, they're all slightly different, you know, but I think the Lost Boys kind of takes that cake and kind of created that whole modern different. I mean, a lot of people will say it was bad, you know, Mm -hmm. they don't like these glamorous type vampires and stuff, but I mean, let's be honest, man, vampire films have been around at this point for, you know, for fucking 60 years, 70 years, you know, it'd been around forever. You know, was it not time for a change? I think the Lost Boys is what separated itself from, that old, dark and serious. Just, just, I mean, let's face it. it had, this movie has comedy in it too. I mean, with the Corys and stuff. I mean, the whole dinner scene with the garlic and shit is funny as hell. Yeah. It always sticks out in my mind. But it's not over the top though. But what 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 you were saying? Just because somebody else took it and made it a bad thing doesn't mean it was bad to start, right? Because mm-hmm. they messed it up when they did it you know the twilights of the world and stuff like that yeah Um, yeah but when it was was done by lost boys it's fucking awesome i agree it's literally it's in my top 30 still in at number 26 is the 2003 remake of the texas chainsaw massacre jp this is on you yeah well i i fought for this one pretty hard and even though it's kind of a negative reason. I still feel like it has a heavy weight of influence in the horror world today because when this came out, there wasn't that. I mean, we mentioned 2002, there was the ring, um, but that was kind of different. They took a film that nobody knew and remade it. Uh, nobody in America. That is this. They took a classic. I mean, we've seen it with psycho didn't work, right? They took a classic chainsaw massacre 74 one of the best horror films ever made one of the most terrifying and they remade it from modern audiences and it was a huge success and then we seen from then on we seen you know the the friday the 13th and the elm streets and you know even the more obscure ones like prom night it was like a frenzy a free-for-all any film that has some notoriety (laughs) some some level some level of anything if it has a name at all Mm-hmm. Let's remake so it this, because people that grew up in that era will remember it. And it's still happening. It's still fucking happening. This film was very important in terms of what, how the next decade and more played out. Yeah. And, you know, I completely agree with that, too. You know, after discussing this, I was like, you know what? 
it's completely a valid point. This film definitely set off a major, major trend trend in well Hollywood remakes and stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, without the success of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake, you know, who knows? We might not have had a lot of uh, of these other type of remakes. Now, a lot of people. Well, if it would have bombed, like, you know, this like is- Psycho, we wouldn't have, right? But it exactly. didn't bomb, and it exactly. and it did very well. It did very well. And, you know, a lot of people will say, you know, this is the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It's a bad thing, you know, because people there's a lot of people out there that are really against remakes and, you know, stuff like that. And for various reasons and their own personal uh, reasons, it doesn't yeah. really matter. Mm-hmm. But the simple fact of the matter is what this did was it do? A, this was a very yeah, it, this is why it's on the list. It's an yeah. influential film in the sense of what it did. It remade a f- classic film and did it properly. In some people's eyes, some people don't agree. But the fact of the matter is it influenced all these other type of Hollywood remakes. And that became what we know today. So I hope we uh, explain that well enough for the viewers out there why this is on the <laughs> list. Because I'm sure that shocked a lot of people when yeah, we announced it. that. But yeah. I think they understand, you know, so why? why it's on the list. I mean, really, I mean, it's just such a big game changer, right? Mm-hmm. You can't ignore the influence it had on the horror genre. Mm-hmm. Especially with like it being so not. recent, like this just happened over the last decade. Like it's, it you know it, it was a huge thing. Exactly, like the film or not, you can't deny its its influence, and that's what this list is all about. Okay, breaking into the halfway point, we are now in the, the top twenty five. We have number twenty five, Hostile from the year two thousand five. Eli Roth making his second appearance. I think it's one of the you know, only guys we have two appearances. Yeah, that's really, really fucking intriguing. It's yeah. interesting how we're noticing things as we're breaking down the list now. Like, yeah. very slow, we're noting things. Um, Eli Roth and Hostel. I mean, it's quite obvious why this is on the list, right? Torture porn. <laughs> if you it, want to it use pretty that much like coin, it, it was the kind of the reason for that term. I mean, maybe yeah. Saw set it off, but Hostile definitely hammered it into the ground. This was this was. I'm sometimes I'm still a little blown away that this had an R rating. That this played mm-hmm. in so many, many a wide theater range, yeah. right? This mm-hmm. was in my hometown's theater, which is saying a lot. Well, shit, everything's in your hometown theater. <laughs> Once again. Once again, this was not the very first type torture film. I mean, there'd been films done before this. Definitely not as notable. But this is the one that really set the bar for a ton. I mean, let's face it. How many, how many fucking ripoffs of Hostel is there out there? I mean, there was there was Hostel ripoffs, I, yeah. I swear, a day the after. next day. <laughs> the next day, people were like, they put films together in 24 hours and like, hey, we got to get this out. Hostel was a huge impact on a kind of a... Maybe it was like a new subgenre to a lot of people. They'd never maybe witnessed, uh, you know, this type of torture film. Uh-huh. And I think that's why it's a, such a huge influence on the horror genre is that it kind of brought this to people's attention and it spawned hundreds and hundreds of films. Hundreds and hundreds? For the first yeah. time, you know, watching Hostel with a group of teenage friends, I didn't feel like such a weirdo. Because everybody else was just as into this crazy shit as I was to horror films, you know, years before. But all of a sudden, it was fine. It was like everybody cool. was like everybody was watching it at that time. So it was like it was really kind of a weird moment for me to see other people kind of not being completely disturbed and you know taken back by by a film and kind of almost 
you know, enjoying it in a weird way, you know what I mean? And like you said, rip off after rip off, it, you know, kind of set the tone for the torture era that we're still seeing parts of it. Um, you know, it was really big in that 2005 to 2010 era though, where, you know, critics were just hating this shit too. They just hated it, hated it. Which which really just added to, you know, novelty. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. To its novelty. That's a great word right there. Um, I mean, obviously it was, it was a figure of speech before hundreds and hundreds of torture porn. I hate that fucking term, but that's kind of a term that was coined from this film. And that's another reason why it's here. You know, it actually coined a term. Yeah. I mean, you can't argue with that, man. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it put that term out there in people's minds and in, in, into people's vocabularies, I should say. Yeah. You know, I still hear it from time to time. And I'm just like, oh, I always I always kind of. Me too. You know, I hate it. As much as we hate it, we all still use it because it's kind of what everybody knows. So you have to. Exactly. You have to speak English, right? You have to speak <laughs> what everybody knows. All right. Here we go. It's time for your favorite movie on the list. <clears throat> Number 24, the most influential horror films of the last 50 years, is Edgar Wright's 2004 film, Shaun of the Dead. Now, I mean, again, this is this is a prime example of a film that I really do not care for, that is really high on a list for me. But this is where we're coming from. We're not being biased at all. We have to recognize oh, the yeah. films that are influential on the genre. And this film... You, I cannot deny the fact of how influential this Zomcom was on. I mean, let's Everything. face it, guys. Here, I'll use an exaggeration again, but hundreds and hundreds of Zomcoms after that are very similar to this. And, all try okay, to capture what Shaun of the Dead did. Exactly. Yeah. They all try to capture the exact same thing. And almost every single Zomcom that you see that comes out, and there's usually about 4,000 of them a year, <laughs> every single fucking cover or back of the DVD case says the best zomcom since Shaun of the Dead. How is that not super influential? Yeah, exactly. Great Where thing. it'll say like Hellraiser mixed with Shaun of the Dead. You know, you see that <laughs> if if, you know, the- if Child's Play and Shaun of the Dead had a love child, this would be it. You see that quote so many time and time and time again. And you know, me and Moods don't actually even like the film. At least I don't. I do I don't know like that it's not much. a bad film. It's definitely yeah. not a bad film. I just don't like it. And Still, it ends up in the top 25 because it did so much in the genre, man. I mean, it really did. And to me, it's another negative one. I don't like those Zomcoms. I don't like the ones that try to be Shaun of the Dead. They kind of annoy me. Yet, they're everywhere. They've slowed down a little bit, but every once in a while, you'll see it pop back up again. And you'll see, you know, best horror comedy since Shaun of the Dead. Really nails the horror comedy just like Shaun of the Dead. And... (laughs) Really, it's annoying as it, hell, but it's there, and it's it always became, there. It became the the staple film for Zomcoms. Yeah, you know that's it what really it is. is. Everything everything that comes out now is all compared to Shaun of the Dead. There were Zomcoms before this. We actually had a couple on here previous. Yep. You know, Reanimator, Dead Alive, those films. Return of Living Dead. No, no one ever says the best Zomcom since fucking Reanimator or Dead Alive. <laughs> it. No one ever says that. It's Shaun of the Dead. Yeah. Yep. Shaun of the Dead is that staple film, and that's why it's there. Everybody that makes a Zomcom wants to make Shaun of the Dead. Coming in at number 23 is the 1978 George A. Romero's and my favorite film of all time, Dawn of the Dead. Now, this was not done purposely. 
we noticed this after the fact that Shaun of the Dead and Dawn of the Dead were back to back on our list. Yeah. And I know people are going, what the fuck? How can Dawn of the Dead be number 23 on your list? Yeah, it's just the way it came down to, man. Like the, the, We feel that the films that are above this one just are a little more influential. But I mean, obviously, Dawn of the Dead was kind of that film that, you know, a previous entry on the list mm-hmm. was spawned from. Um, Z- Lucio, Lucio Falci's Zombie or Zombie 2 or Flesh, you know, all the other fucking names it goes under, <laughs> um, was obviously influenced by Dawn of the Dead. Dawn of the Dead is, you know, that that film that a, I think a lot of filmmakers want to make. That's a zombie film that a lot of people want to make. Yeah, you know? it really is. Yeah. I agree. A lot you know, of indie guys, so many... man. A lot of indie guys, like, set out to make their own Dawn of the Dead. Usually fail miserably, but it's on everybody's mind who's making an independent zombie film mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know the cool thing about dawn of the dead it's you know it's a serious film and it does have a couple comedic moments in it but you know the social aspects of this film and, and you know it's it's so relevant it's it's so relevant even today mm-hmm. you know that's what makes this film so amazing and, and people keep being influenced by dawn a film like dawn of the dead because of its social aspect and you know um i mean everything that goes along with it, there's so much political stuff going on in this one uh, mm-hmm. consumerism is the biggest oh, consumerism up the ass consumerism it's so you know, blatant it's, it's like almost as blatant as homecoming it's like it's like it really right is. in your face but you know there's just so many aspects of this film that make it so brilliant i think that's what really influences people uh-huh. you know to go out and make their own type of dawn of the dead but i mean let's face it you know this influenced Lucio Falci and then a whole Italian craze and millions of zombie films after the fact. So, yeah, uh, I I think anybody, literally anybody who's making a zombie film today probably at least thinks about this once. Uh Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, I still come across the odd person that uh, doesn't really care for Dawn of the Dead. And they always seem to note the fact that they don't like the way the zombies look. And I'm like... (laughs) Okay. I mean, I guess if that's how you want to judge the film, but uh, I personally like the way the, the zombies look in the film. I'm not going to lie. They're not the best-looking zombies ever, but that's not the point. They don't have to be. Mm-hmm. They're that slow-moving, fucking awesome zombie that we all like. You know, I personally like the slow-moving ones to the running ones. That's just uh, me. I like... Mm. Wait, what do you like, Jeremy? I don't know. I'm Like, I'm thinking about the original. I'm thinking about, like, the remake... I'm like, mm, I like them both so much. The remake uh, is a the film remake is I... a film. I same thing. We're me and Moods are literally about to say the same thing. Yeah. The more we watch it, the more we don't like it. There's major yeah. problems with that film, it, and it drives me crazy. Actually, I will not yeah, I, be watching that. Again. I watched it when it first came out, and I was like, "Fuck, man, <laughs> that's actually really good, man." I was yeah. like, "Damn." Watched it, you know, here and there over the years, and I'm just like, "Nah, okay, yeah." Now I, I really just don't have any interest in watching it. So coming in at number twenty-two, we have Child's Play from the year nineteen eighty-eight, which happens to be our second co-host's favorite horror film. Oh, Jeremy. I'm second. Fuck you. Uh, well, guess... Moods' film was the one before this, and that was his favorite horror film. Oh, I guess so you would be second. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Another thing I never noticed when we we're doing the yeah. the list is that we have back-to-back favorite films of all time on here. Yeah. That's and what strange. are you bitching about? That would make me third anyway. 
Well, I'm just wondering myself how the hell. Line, so. I'm actually really curious on how Child's Play is higher than Dawn of the Dead. Now I'm going to start arguing this list, well, motherfuckers. Because uh, <laughs> Child's Play is been copied with the killer doll thing. So I mean, the, it, it literally is the the killer doll film. Like it is the one out of all of them out there. The Full Moon stuff, the Puppet Masters, you know, the he's, doll. Everything. Such like a the one. Yeah, he's such like a a memorable character. Like everybody knows what Chucky is, what he looks like. Spawned you know, an entire franchise that but it's just the fact that like everybody n- understands who chucky is is this shows you you know how important he is man one thing about child's play that always ba- like always amazes me I'm, i remember when i reviewed this film in my 88 series and i hadn't watched it in a while and i i, I started watching it and the anima- animatronics in this film it's amazing are fucking mm-hmm. so well done for yeah, that's good like it really even today when you watch it, you go Damn, that's really good. Like, there's full-on shots of Chucky, like, just walking around. Yeah. You're like, yeah. fuck, that's really amazing. Because, you know, it takes a lot of effort to film like that. You know, you do a lot of shots where you can kind of hide what's going on mm-hmm. with the effects and stuff. And on this one, man, it, it's really out there. I think yeah. that really- there's also, like, an underappreciation for Child's Play. And it, it might be a little hidden at first because, you know, everybody loves Child's Play. But I think it is a little undervalued because of the sequels in terms of like how good that first one really was. Like it, there mm-hmm. was a lot of suspense in it and, and things like that. Um, when uh, the mom, Catherine Hicks, is is holding the doll at the fire. Oh yeah, and she's like, "I'm gonna, yeah, yeah," and he flips out. Like that is startling as hell. It scared the shit out of me the first <laughs> time I watched it. It's. I always thought I to myself that. that the casting Brad Dorf as of uh, uh, you know Chucky's voice. Was like the first time when I watched brilliant, so perfect. The first time I watched One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, I was like, "Fucking hell, that's Brad Dwarf. <laughs> I was like, "Yeah, yeah," it made me yeah. giggle. Brad Dwarf's awesome, and you know, I think that is the reason, though. It's it's just the killer doll, like the uh, you know the childhood toy of the '80s, the doll coming to life. Like, yeah, we've seen it before. It's been done, you know, well, twenty, thirty year previously- years before that too, as well. Oh man, there were, there was killer doll films like, you know, from the sixty. I mean, as far back as I can remember, really. Yeah, this one's like, notable. You know, a year previous though, uh, Charles Band produced a film called Dolls. Yeah, he probably yeah. caught wind that this one was coming, beat him to it. Yeah, and but you know, odd, oddly enough, like Dolls is my favorite killer doll film. I love that movie with a passion. But you know, teach his own, right? Yeah, Charles well, Band's play is the doll film you know even even if i like other ones and you like other ones more mm-hmm. this is the one everybody knows and this is the one chucky the little red-headed thing like everybody knows that guy and everybody. he's been the good guy doll. ripped off and and you know in pop culture ever, ever since dude huge in pop culture oh major pop culture oh, influence yeah. oh i got the ultimate pleasure to announcing the 21st film in the list of the top 50 most influential horror films of the last 50 years Oh, God. Oh, I don't want to say it. 21 is Paranormal Activity from the year 2007. Again, Ugh. another film on the list that I do not care for. Yeah. And yeah. it's in at number 25. Again, I will stress, this list is not being biased, is it? <laughs> at all. No, not at all. I've never been a fan of this film, but again... You have to appreciate us, what it did. We cannot deny its influence and what it yeah. did. For found you know, footage, man. For found footage and you know, in horror f- in general. Extreme, yeah, yeah, yeah. This film 
there's when a lot of came, things we can touch on here. When it was made for, you know, just a couple thousand thousand dollars and it hit the, you know, independent circuit, it blew up, you know, you know, it, it did the, the, there's so much, there's really so much to touch on the marketing where they showed the people in the theater, oh, yeah. get paranormal activity to come to your town. It's the scariest movie. You know, it, it did it, it did it, it influenced marketing. And then also it influenced what we still see right now, which is the super cheap found footage film put out by the Hollywood system, right? This caused that because yeah. it, mm-hmm. it, it's, they can make them so cheap and so fast and they make so much money. We're starting yeah. to see it die down a bit, but you know, with all, well, it was a huge so trend there many. for about four or five years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, well, let's make this film for $5,000 and make a hundred million. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, the influence was amazing, you know, like low budget filmmaking at its best, really, you know, and, Another thing that this movie did was kind of kind of bring back or I don't know how you put it before, you know, the whole found footage subgenre. Yeah, because really. this one kind it. of like it well, did, not it created. Did, it it did not create. Create create is not the word at all. It, it did not it create explode. found footage. It this popularized one popularized it. This one kind of like definitely that's the word right there, popularized. Yeah, well, there's found two really I mean, notable found footage films that came before this one. Yet, after both of those notable ones, we really didn't see a huge amount of found footage films. It was after there, Paranormal Activity that we really started seeing them. You know, they were peppered in between, you know, 1999, 98, 99 until 2007. There was a few peppered in there. But, man, when Paranormal came out, this found footage look... It just fucking One came out it, every day. <laughs> it went viral, man, with found footage films. And, yeah. you know, for the people out there that don't care for found footage films, you can blame Paranormal Activity for definitely popularizing and bringing that to the forefront of for found footage and low budget filmmaking. Yeah. I mean, we general. literally own, when we do the DVD and Blu-ray releases and mood swings, like we literally almost see one weekly. Like mm-hmm. weekly, we almost see a found footage film. All the all the spoofs like Paranormal something. Activity. Like, there's so many fucking even spoofs, and yeah. th- this this movie is a huge, huge a influence on on horror on the horror genre right now, and you know even the the comedy horrors and. Is that the name? Uh, Paranormal Activity, a haunted house. Haunted house. Uh, there was a few other one. Paranormal Entity. Oh yeah. I have so Paranormal many. Entity. I do yeah. <laughs> Ridiculous, but yeah, you you can't deny it's. Uh, its influence. Yeah, it all. definitely changed the landscape for a while, and it's it's now slowly dying down. But at the same time, the paranormal activity films are still kicking. With the next one, the Ghost Dimension, which is I believe slated for this year. All right, coming in at number twenty is Regero Diodato's nineteen eighty classic, Cannibal Holocaust. <laughs> yeah. Now. Cannibal Holocaust is an interesting film because we're talking about, you know, creating or in almost inventing, you know, found footage films. In my opinion, Cannibal Holocaust is the very first found footage film, hmm. you know, from 1980. Uh, so it's interesting because, I mean, there was no film that was ever done like this before. And it's mostly noted for being a very extreme, you know, cannibalistic type film. Um, but this one spawned like a whole 
well, I shouldn't say it spawned. It definitely did not spawn. There was cannibal films before this that even Ruggiero Diodato had done himself. Jungle Holocaust came out three years prior, four years prior, mm-hmm. you know, and there was other films. And uh, but this is the one that popularized the subgenre. Cannibal films were there. This one popularized it, became a phenomenon, really. You know, it, I mean, noted as, you know, probably the most infamous video nasty also. Oh, and yeah. in my opinion, you know, created uh, created the found footage film that never really caught on until I would say, well, let's say ninety eight when the last broadcast came out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and that's kind of the next one, really, in my opinion. Like, I mean, I guess not really. I mean, there'd been you know, Man Bites Dog came out in nineteen ninety one, ninety two, or something like that. I guess that's kind of a found footage film in a way. It, it is really th- this one was interesting also because it it's literally like the like found footage like it mm-hmm. like that's not just the genre like it that's kind of why it's called found footage is cause yeah, it's because yeah that's found they're literally telling the story from you know the footage that they find yeah you know like they're, they're showing it to these people this is what happens you know kind of thing so it's very interesting um but yeah cannibal holocaust we all we all know cannibal holocaust it's just infamous everywhere in the world it's one of those noted films for everything i mean mm. for fuck's sakes man when this movie came out they were putting Ruggiero diodato like under you know scrutiny and under the under the fire for people even, still talk about it even for the fact i mean they thought they killed real people in the fucking movie because yeah. the effects were so good like this movie is just so that's why it's for so many things for that. You know, and obviously it's noted for having his real animal killings in there. Yeah. And, you know, the, you know, the fucking police and shit. They thought that he was actually killing real people for fuck's sakes. But what an influential film, though. I mean, for everything that came after Cannibal Holocaust on so many different levels. I mean, this film is still getting, it still gets talked about daily. You know, you yeah. can't, you can't deny its influence on the genre, on, on every type of subgenre and stuff. So it's an amazing piece of work. Coming in at number 19, we have I Spit on Your Grave from the year 1978. Yes, the second rape revenge film on our list. And why is this one higher than Last House on the Left? Well, even though Last House on the Left was kind of the first one that, you know, popularized the idea, I guess. This one took it to the next level. Day yeah. of the Woman. This this is the film that everybody cites as the most brutal, like just it's it's the quintessential rape revenge film, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it really is. Yeah. yeah, this one doesn't hold anything back. It's very very straightforward in its uh, in its approach. You know, and there was one interesting thing that that you noted when we were talking about this too. You know, I Spit in Your Grave is obviously noted for being that, you know, rape-revenge film. But you said the cover art alone is mm-hmm. so iconic. And kind yeah. of, I mean, even the cover art's been ripped off to death. I mean, I oh, even found yeah, about sure. four or five movies with this cover art. Very, very similar cover art. But, yeah, just an, it's just a nasty, nasty, nasty film. Again, you know, it was one of those films that made I the told, video nasty list. I told the story any, about the class, man. I told that story on the show. Um, no, yeah, not too many films now. do that. <laughs> Yeah. Of course, another video nasty, which was, you know, which made it even more popular. Thank God for the video nasties, though, because we never would have seen any of some of these films, Uh you know, if it wasn't for the nasties. But uh, yeah, I I said this in one of my videos about I spit on your grave. And when I first 
like knew of it i i knew of the film years before i'd ever watched it and i just never wanted to watch it because it felt like i wasn't supposed to watch it just based on that cover art because the cover art makes you feel dirty like it makes you feel like it's something obviously i'm a kid at this point but you know it made me feel like i shouldn't see it it's that's not for me that's for adults and i never had that with any other horror film you know Mm -hmm. only that Mm -hmm. Yeah, and this one obviously spawned tons, tons of rape revenge films. Yeah. Tons. That, and even you know, the I title mean, has been butchered and copied and cut up and spit on and put back mm-hmm. together again. Oh, I, I like I said, I have a few films with I spit on something. <laughs> I spit on, I spit on, what is it? I spit on your corpse, is that it? I, I spit on, yeah, I spit on your corpse and, and piss on your grave. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Good stuff, but. Yeah, I spent her in the grave. Super iconic. Number 18 on the list of the top 50 most influential horror films of all time is Joe Dante's 1984 Christmas classic Gremlins. Not of all time, of the last 50 years. Of the last 50 years, sorry. They know already. <laughs> yeah, you said it about eight times. This I'm one. I'm going to say is, it every time, too. This one <laughs> is influential for many reasons. First. The little monster craze, right? I mean, this kicked it off. I mean, ghoulies, munchies, trolls, and everything else came from gremlins. Two, this and, you know, poltergeist really kind of started that PG-13 thing, right? Because it was, it wasn't, you know, strong enough to be an R. Poltergeist was PG. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Oh, gremlins. These films made the PG-13 rating. Because they not they, really, but yeah. What do you, no, I, I understand what you, I, I understand know what, what he's saying. saying. They're but taking you, a look at these films, and th- this is the reason why there is because it wasn't necessarily a PG film. It wasn't an R film. Yeah, where does it? And, where does it, it fit? Needs, where does it need fit? It has to be a bigger one. Up. This yeah. film and Poltergeist were PGs. They said, "Well, this is too strong to be a PG, but it's definitely not an R either." What the hell do we do? And they created the PG thirteen. That's what I was saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, these were the type of films that helped create that rating system. It's yeah. not necessarily the films that did it. <laughs> they helped. Yeah, obviously <clears throat> the people did it, but they were influenced no, by... No, Indiana Jones did it. What year did Indiana Jones come out? Moods. Uh, 1984? 1983 okay. or 84? This film came out in 84 as well. Mm-hmm. These, like I said, these there, was... type, there were probably multiple films that, that they realized like this isn't working but I'm saying this is one of those films that influenced it mm-hmm. yeah I agree I... I completely understand what you're saying mm-hmm. but yeah I mean it's more I'm just on the list for the fact of creating you know this little monster type subgenre yeah you know lots of lots of ripoffs and stuff and just it's very notable this well, film everybody knows and loves. Yeah, well, it, also the um, Christmas thing, you know, that like it it did that too. I mean, it wasn't the one that created the Christmas genre, but like the this this kid friendly horror film like this. That, was there really any before it that were as kid friendly as this, but still yet terrifying? Um, Not really. I don't think so. No. I mean, we talked we talked about this, and I, I honestly can't think of anything that was similar to gremlins before it it's it's definitely an original type idea that's for sure all right coming in at number 17 is the 1979 film 
the Amityville Horror. Yeah. Oh, brought haunted house. Well, the Amityville Horror is well. It is. A, it's it's a haunted house film, right? I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's like one of the um, most influential of those. I mean, it's mm-hmm. the the house itself. I mean, just the look of it. It like Called the, the whole story. Uh, set up and everything like we see it so many times nowadays that a lot of it definitely ideas. came from the mm-hmm. Amityville horror in 1979 mm-hmm. you know and all it has one of the greatest taglines too for god's sake get out <laughs> yeah it's so awesome and i love that tag it's just great it's great but i mean how iconic is the fucking house and it's yeah. so creepy but i mean i think what really sells us is that it's you know based on true story mm-hmm. kind of thing. And, you know, I mean, obviously these type of things have been done before, but I think this is the one that kind of brought it to, you know, the forefront. You know, the Amityville horror was just I think so, this I, is the only... This the movie fo- was also marketed like crazy, though, too. Like, this one had a pretty big, you know, marketing. Yeah, there, there was it, a so. lot of films that did have the, you know, inspired by true events thing, you know? Yeah, yeah. But... This one I feel is like the first one that came out that people actually like a, a large number of people actually believed. Like they believed mm-hmm. like lo- especially a lot of religious people, you know. They they believed this one. Um oh, I think yeah. this one I think this wasn't this one's also a lot easier to believe though too. If you compare the Amityville horror to, you know, something like Texas Chainsaw Massacre where it gives you that disclaimer, you know, this was, you know, based on real events blah blah blah. Yeah. I mean you know, obviously it is kind of with Ed Gein and blah, blah, blah. But this one right here is, I think it's just more easier to believe and you can kind of absorb it a lot well, easier because than something like TCM. There was actual documented, you know, murder, you know, documents that happened. It was on the news and stuff, you know, the DeFeos. Like, mm-hmm. so it was still there for people to know about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I mean, the house itself, I mean, it's there. Yeah, it's what, I what, guess. Yeah, I mean, like literally, the house is in Amityville, so New York. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Right, it's there. It's what? It's a museum now, or something like that. No, is that what it is? It's still, it's still a house. Still a house. People still like the last. I believe oh, the I last they, residents I, said nothing has been going on. No, it's changed owners. Like, yeah, and people actually live times. in it. Yeah, like the like like eight times over the last yeah. you know like decade or something, but nothing wow. weird. Interesting. Yeah, but I mean the Amityville horror. I mean, you know, it spawned a lot of. I mean, they're still putting out Amityville films for fuck's sake. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, how it's pretty influential, you know, in that in that sense. But I mean, the the franchise is getting ridiculous. But so many. There's just so many of them. You know, it, it's iconic. You know, yeah. it's notable. The Amityville horror. I mean, it's just one of those films that when you think of horror films. Honestly, the Amityville horror film, it, it just it comes to my mind all the well, time. Well, it does have horror in the title, right? Maybe that's probably why. <laughs> <laughs> when you think of horror films, what do you think of? Well, obviously, Amityville. <laughs> no, but you're right. I, that one does come to my mind as well. Coming in at number 16, we have The Silence of the Lambs from the year that I was born, 1991. Yeah. Oh, you young buck. <laughs> sounds of the lambs now this one i was you know this is an interesting entry that's so i I guess i shouldn't say high on the list low on the list Mm -hmm. low low i think i'm getting that backwards i got a little bit of dyslexia happening right now um yeah i i I don't know 
you know, Sansa Jeremy Lamb's. really fought for this one. Yeah, yeah. because That's some interesting points. Well, I thought that it brought you know horror back into the mainstream critical you know acclaimed spotlight. You know, it's every so often you know five times out of history do you have a you know a horror film to come out that you know critics go oh this is actually good and you know the academy recognizes and things like that then yeah, it actually right. fucking won and you know that never happens yeah yeah exactly. never happens i know manhunter or whatever the fuck the movie's called you know brought hannibal lecter you know there was other hannibal lecter films first but you know this brought the iconic 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 hannibal lecter that everybody knows today also yeah definitely i mean I think even like the intellectual aspect of the film has kind of been mimicked and mocked and, you know, tried to be duplicated but never repeated well, I think, really. Since I think the year after this movie came or the year I think it was nineteen ninety two when Silence of the Hams came out. <laughs> you know, they they were spoofing Silence of the Lambs. I mean I mean I mean honestly if your film is spawning spoofs, I mean, how influential is yeah, that? Yeah, I, I guess you win right there. Silence right? of the Hams? Silence of the Hams was fucking hilarious. I'm I, not gonna I lie, it was don't funny. know if I've ever heard of this. Yeah, me neither. Oh, it's funny as hell, man. It's pretty good. Um, but yeah, Silence of the Lambs, man. Like, you know, great performances, too. I mean, oh, yeah. one of the most iconic, scary, scary people in Hannibal Lecter. Like, he's just... He's like, so intimidating because he's always in control and he's always one step he, ahead. It's of you. because he's so fucking smart. Yeah, and that's a different type of fear, right? Because yeah. you're not fe- you're fearing that this guy is just better than you. He's just better at thinking. He's better at tricking. He's better at manipulation. He's just bet. You can't win against him. He just knows exactly. him. He has more like angles. He's one step ahead of you. Yeah, and that's exactly. that's frightening. We are breaking in to the top fifteen of our most influ- top 50 most influential horror films of the last 50 years not of all times of the last 50 years and this time up we have ridley scott's 1979 film alien now we debated on whether to put this one or aliens mm-hmm. and really they're both you know deserving but we just decided to go with aliens since it came first yeah I mean, awesome films. The sci-fi epic, the space epic thing with, uh, you know, kind of the different alien. It's not the stick figure, big headed alien anymore. Like this Uh is the creature alien. And I think, you know, I I can't really think of many films that did it like this. Uh, And of course, after that, we got stuff like Predator, which was definitely influenced from Alien. And Mm -hmm. people... I often hear people cite Alien so much when talking oh, about Alien has been ripped off so many times, though. Yeah, like oh, I mean, yeah. I get, I mean, especially by the Italians. Like you know, of, of course, Italians just ripped off everything from yeah. <laughs> these American cinema films. But right after a film like Contamination comes out, and it's practically Alien, you know, yeah. Yeah. it's like the same film. So this movie right here was influential in that sense, right there. That's it spawned, <laughs> spawned. Um, so many films that were just like it, but yeah, a this lot, one does a lot, lot for a lot of things, man. This movie is so fucking dark. I personally prefer Alien over Aliens. I know a lot of people prefer Aliens, but I think this is a better film. Mm-hmm. I think it captures what it's supposed to a lot better. Aliens to me is more of like an action type film. It just doesn't have the same type of feel and atmosphere that Alien does. I think what Ridley Scott did with this film is just brilliant. 
And I think that's why it spawns so many ripoffs because this is what he accomplished and created something so, so dark and amazing that you just couldn't help but rip it off. (laughs) Right, Italians? You know, you know something. (laughs) You're absolutely right. And also the burning. I was listening to the burning commentary, and the guy, you know, at least name dropped aliens. Alien slash aliens is is like his biggest influence. You know, also this is something that I think we probably might have almost forgot but like it is like the influence for the tough female character like that like mm-hmm. like ripley is yeah. like the influence like that is her she's like the the mother of it all yeah mm-hmm. yeah i was that's interesting you kind of took that right out of my mouth there that oh, was getting at that, that. <laughs> i was getting at that too it definitely is kind of that staple film and created that strong female character i 100 percent agree with that you know sigourney weaver badass yeah. You know, I mean, how many characters were written, you know, based off of, of Ripley? Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm for sure other type films. Even you know, they wanted to create that. I mean, I mean, sorry for cutting you off, but I mean, when you look at films prior to 1979, how many female leads were like that? Not many. I can't even think of really, you know, I mean, that strong of a lead. Like, th- this was interesting. Mm-hmm. In 1979, to see watch a film and oh, your main character is a female and she's fucking badass. She's more than in badass. fact, she's more badass than every male in the film. Yeah, you I, know it's crazy to see actually, and, and especially in the 70s. I mean, it was still kind of old fashioned. You know, you see a woman up there and she's kicking ass, and it's interesting. I, w- I you know, you mentioned that other characters were like literally written, you know, with. Ripley in mind or whatever. Mm-hmm. I actually remember watching a documentary where on I forget what film it was, but they was going through like the the script, like you know they was talking about it and stuff, and, and it even had in like quotations like or uh, parentheses like a strong you know female character look that looks like Singori Weaver from Alien. <laughs> like it literally was like, like in the script. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's Fine. pretty awesome. But I think a lot of women that became strong characters, you know, they can kind of look back and go, hey, you know, mm-hmm. Ripley. The original badass. Exactly. Exactly. You can't deny it. Alrighty, Coming in at number 14 is Roman Polanski's 1968, again, classic, Rosemary's Baby. Yeah. Yeah, this film is definitely... A heavy hitter in terms of influential. Oh yeah, that was not even a word. I don't think a cult film, man. It's like the main occult film. Yeah, I, I mean, it, this is truly one of the greats in horror history. First of all, I mean, mm-hmm. it really is like one of the more perfect films. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the. It's almost like the textbook definition of horror. Yeah, you know, it's terrifying. Just the whole the way this thing plays out and it's just it's it's really almost a perfect film if not a perfect film yeah and it's right around that era where you know 68 i I mean we've talked about this many times but like that is the beginning of the modern era with Mm -hmm. films like this one Mm -hmm. yeah completely agree and again another film that spawned tons and tons of films just like it Mm -hmm. you know I mean, it's kind of that staple film again. You know, don't mean to sound like a broken record, but a lot of these films, is that's what they did. You know, there are those quintessential films that started off a lot of these type of films. And, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, this one right here, you know, when you watch this for the first time, you're just like, 
wow. You know, it has that type of effect on you. Such a such a great, horrifying film. Executed perfectly. I mean, even some of the films that were up the list a little bit, like higher numbered, like The Omen. I mean, mm-hmm. definitely influence from Rosemary's Baby. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. For sure. Polanski, man, he knew his shit. Polanski's a, he is a really good director. Knife in the Water, man. The movie's fucking awesome. Yeah. Yeah, Repulsion, he's done some good shit. Really, really good films. Oh, yeah. But this one, again, you know, is, is one of those staple films that was mimicked many, many times after. Yeah. It's still talked about today. I mean, it even spawns recently a uh, TV miniseries yep. based on Rosemary's yeah. Baby. So. And and the hard thing is it, it's almost a little hard to talk about some of the things that were influential in it without starting to spoil the film. So yeah. I think we should, you know, stay away from that. Coming in at number 13, we have James Wan's Saw from the year 2004. I mean, how 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 can this not be high up on the list? I really, I mean, Scada. Yeah, there's a lot of things. You know, oddly enough, we we talked about Cube earlier in the show and how I believe that Saw was, you know, influenced from Cube. Yeah. And this one's way lower on the list. So, but there's a lot of factors to to the reason why Saw is so influential in today's world. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, this kind of kicked off the torture porn with, you know, later like Hostel. Um, but the, the, do you yeah, want thing. to play a game, the game thing like that's yeah. been mimicked and mocked so much. How many ri- saw ripoffs did we see after saw? Oh, like yeah. even that film that I talk about all the time, nine dead. I was just about to say that that is a direct yeah. saw clone. Yeah. totally. Mm-hmm. Another staple film. Yeah. That's yeah. what it is. And it also did kind of what the cabin fever thing did in terms of indie like this was an independent film that hit the circuit uh an independent horror film that broke through into the mainstream and we're seeing that with uh films like it follows now and it's following that same path path that was set by saw Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah and again from that same era you know 2002 three four yeah a lot of these films were you know, very staple films for what we know now. I think when you look back at that decade, that that is like the highlight of, of that point of, you know, the tens or the, you know, well, not the tens, the first. Yeah, I guess the tens, right? What would it be? The 2000 teens? I don't know. Yeah, the, 2000s. The <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what the hell it would be. But, you, you know, it, it, it really was like a huge staple in that part. Yeah. And the ending, man. Yeah, I mean, brought back the, 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 it brought back the. Uh... Well, I mean, even everybody was putting twists in their films after that because how how successful Saw did it, you know? And yeah. Even even the Saw films were like being, like the Saw sequels were ripping off Saw, and, and, and <laughs> you know it was weird. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good point. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I mean, and also creating, I, I you know, just the structure of Saw is so well done. Yeah. You know the 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 character that came from it, and oh, I don't and, know. And it it's dominated just, it's so memorable. the box office for yeah, the, at it. least five or six years after. You know, that, that's yeah. a good point actually, because you know, yeah, you know, the films to follow just kind of brought horror films into the theaters and you know, started James Wan's career. Yeah, look, look, look where he's he's, now, done. Dude, he's big time in it. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the sequels were major box office. Oh, yeah, they made good money. Yeah. They did make good money, so, yeah. you know, that's good. Yeah. Number 12, from the year 1974, we got pretty much the first slasher film, Bob Clark's Black Christmas. Oh, yeah. She, uh, yeah, definitely a proto-slasher. It influenced, you know, plenty of films after. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, it's it cited as, as, you know, the kind of that first, you know, basic blueprint of a slasher film. Not not only that, but I mean Christmas, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. This one has a lot of elements. You know, it's got the whole it's sorority gritty. thing. It's got the whole sorority thing going on. It's gritty. It's gritty. It, and it's got like one of the best endings. Actually, in my opinion, it's like the best ending ever. I just love <laughs> the ending. It's so uh just the way they did it too with the credits and uh it's just so fantastic but yeah this is you know most influential for being you know basically that kind of first like real slasher real slasher type film Mm -hmm. and even the phone calls let's not let's not forget that how many times has that been ripped off and mimicked the 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 weird like prank phone calls with the you know the the killer in the house like i mean it's definitely a film that is you know sometimes unintentionally you know, people were inspired by it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is, you know, you can even cite, you know, John Carpenter is Halloween as being, Influence. you know, influenced by this film, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's there's a whole story with that, though, too, right? Absolutely. You know, which we don't really have time to get into, but, you know, that's relatable. But Black Christmas, in my opinion, is one of those just almost perfect films. Hmm. That has so many elements that are just mimicked to death after. Another staple film. Yep. Coming in at number 11 is Wes Craven is making another appearance on this list. Wesley Craven, get his name right, bitch. Wesley Craven's yeah. 1984, A Nightmare on Elm Street. What is there to say about oh Nightmare on Elm Street? Oh, my God. I mean, like, Next. the film speaks for itself, right? Yeah. Next. Created one of the most iconic characters of all time. Yeah. Yeah. That was, you know... Like, shit, dude, Wes Craven was ripping off Wes Craven. You know, like, mm-hmm. he was ripping off Freddy with, uh, what, what was the one, uh, the Shocker Killer, uh, what's his name, Moods? Help me out here. Horace Pinker. Horace Pinker. You know, that is like a Freddy clone. And my soul to take, he was still doing it, like, the Ripper. <laughs> like, that, he's, he's remade he Freddy Krueger get- like four times. Yeah. Oh yeah, this this film has been ripped off to death. You know, obviously with the look of the killer and remember that Bollywood film that we came and, across. Yeah, when me and Moods was doing research for this, <laughs> we found out that there is a Bollywood Nightmare on Elm Street film, like a legitimate, really? like actual it, Elm Street film. It's involved. literally the Bollywood version of a Nightmare on Elm Street. Like, it's there's just Fred. a clone. Like actually, they said it was the first three films rolled into one. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> yeah, somebody seek that out. <laughs> But I think, you know, the whole idea behind A Nightmare on Elm Street is just so iconic, too. It's just it created one of the most interesting killers, you know, in your dreams. It's, and he was, like, crazy. everywhere in pop culture. Yeah. Oh, it, it everywhere. is. Pop culture, yeah. That was one thing that we discussed to the death was the influence on pop culture. I mean, back in the 80s, you couldn't go anywhere without seeing Freddy's face. Yeah. He was no, that's everywhere. That's just crazy. I wish I would have been there for that. <laughs> so here's a great example. When I was in the fifth grade... So this would have been in 1990, I believe. Um, you know, I guess, you know, the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise was 
definitely past its peak, but it was still major, major, huge. You've seen Freddy Krueger's face everywhere still. That specific year, I remember when the Freddy mask came out and you could buy the Halloween costume. Every single kid dressed up as Freddy that year. It was ridiculous. I remember trick-or-treating that specific year. I wonder if parents were phoning up the costume shops asking if they had costumes in stock. (laughs) Oh, most Um, likely. Most likely they were. But yeah, I'm sure they were making phone calls to these establishments to to reserve, um, you know, costume stuff. But no, seriously, it was absolutely ridiculous. It was like everywhere you went, you seen Freddy masks and that hat, and everyone had those striped shirts and yeah. the, in the in the club. It was fucking insane. And nobody was, even looked remotely close to Freddy Krueger. <laughs> I hope actually not. the masks were pretty good back in those days. Those things were a bitch to wear though because it was like that really hard, you not breathe. hard. But no, they were like really kind of heavy rubber, almost like they were really actually decent quality, but you couldn't fucking breathe with shit in those. So like, you know, you go from house to house and you just kind of put it back on your face because you couldn't walk around in that shit, man. It was ridiculous. But but yeah, you know, that's just an example of, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street being so popular that, you know, everybody was that, you know, it wasn't even like a fad. It was like around for a long time. I miss those days. It's good stuff. Yeah. And you know, Freddy as as a killer um, in 84, you know, in the middle of the slasher era, he was the new breed. He was the new breed of of slashers. And we've seen so many slashers come after Freddy Krueger who kind of mimicked and copied the style. And hell, even, you know, the talking in general, the wisecracking, like that's oh, yeah. Freddy Krueger. Like, like how reminiscent is the glove, man? So iconic. Yeah, mm-hmm. there's still not it's a, a great weapon. iconic weapon. I, not, not the iconic's the wrong word. Creative weapon in mm-hmm. in horror movie history, in my opinion. Well, you can use the word iconic though too. Yeah, yeah. Nightmare on Elm Street kind of speaks for itself. Hi guys, this is Paul Henderson calling in. Uh, looking forward to episode fifty, and my answer for the question for episode fifty is the most influential horror movie over the last fifty years for me is. Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3 and the reason that is is because I saw it when I was like 8 or 9 years old and it scared the shit out of me and I couldn't sleep for pretty much like 3 weeks after watching it and had to sleep with the light on and yeah so it kind of set me up in watching horror movies and loving them and yeah that's my answer Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3 and keep up the good work guys Well, guys, it's finally down to that moment. We are in the top 10. Coming in at number 10, we have one of my favorite horror films of all time, the film that scared me the most. We have The Blair Witch Project from the year 1999. Yeah. So why don't you tell us a little bit about The Blair Witch Project? Well, I I don't have much to say. Well, well, the, the, the Blair Witch Project... It's not about the movie, right? I mean, we're, we're I talking about yep, influential yep, 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 stuff yep. here. The Blair Witch Project did something in terms of marketing that hadn't been done, right? I mean, it, it was never done to the level of the way that the Blair Witch Project was able to do it. And it's really haven't hasn't been done since. I mean, it's been copied and tried to be done, but it's never got to the level of... I remember hearing stories from when I was just a kid of of a friend, mutual family friend thing who who was in West Virginia University and said that 
the posters, the missing posters for those kids was at her school, like posted on the <laughs> walls and shit of, of the three missing kids before the movie had even came out. Huh. Like they went to the next level of marketing. They set up a website. I mean, this was like taking advantage of internet before internet really was existing like it is now. It, it did some revolutionary shit. And for that reason is one of the reasons, one of the many reasons that the Blair Witch Project deserves to be on this list. But, you know, also I think you can just talk about the film in general, right? I agree, man. The marketing was outstanding for this. Yeah. It's probably the only film I ever remember going into it going, I don't even, is this fiction or <laughs> nonfiction? Like, I don't know what the fuck is going on with this. Like, that's crazy marketing when you have to question it. I remember Todd talking about it on the radio, man. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, and this stop. Was, this was on a whole different playing field, man. Like, say what yeah. you will about the film. They did it right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. and it, it definitely influenced a lot of marketers, you know, later to come up with better, you know, marketing plans and stuff for their films. But, and, man, and how said, many people were like, that movie, The Blair Witch Project's real. It's real. Well, well that's like, what I was saying. When like you, I thought it was real. Like, you said you didn't mm-hmm. know. Like, I literally thought it was real. And there was many people who thought it was real as well. That has never been done since. It'll never happen again. That will never no, happen. It, it could never happen now. No. No. It, it was the. It was just the perfect timing. It would and, never be able to happen on the internet. Oh no! Now. Not no at way. all. No, it's just a different world now. Yeah, right? like you know, a lot of time are, has passed since this. So when somebody says something now, something that sounds just a little outlandish, like you just Google this shit and be like, "Ha, motherfucker, you're lying." But back then, you couldn't do that. When somebody told you that, that like, crocodiles have, like, this, you know, button under their armpit that instantly kills them, you'd be like, oh, maybe he's fucking telling the truth. I don't know. You know? But, like, you that was the weirdest example ever. Then. Well, I just... Is that an anaconda first late classes? But I'm sure you remember that, Moods. Like, sitting around oh, yeah. with your buddies or something, being a kid, and they say, like, just so-and-so's dad says that this and that. And you're like, bullshit. But you couldn't prove it. They could be telling the truth. But with the yeah. internet now, you're just like, you are lying because it's right here on Google, bitch. Like, people lie a lot <laughs> so less <true>. now. <laughs> and essentially, that's what the Blair Witch Project was, was one big fucking lie that you couldn't prove at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, essentially what it comes down to it is the most brilliant marketing. <laughs> really? That I can oh, yeah, ever think about from a film, and it really did work. Yeah. I mean, it got so many people sitting oh, in those okay. seats in the theater yeah. and, you know, and the buzz and the talk and like, and I just remember when it all came crashing down, it's like, yeah, the, you know, the stars of uh, the Blair Witch Project are <laughs> going to be appearing at this award show. And I'm like, what? What do you mean stars? <laughs> they lied to me. Like the people that edited it? <laughs> edited the found footage? <laughs> I know. Like your question about? is going, they're like, that can't be fucking true. That never happened. <laughs> then you start telling your buddies like that commercial never happened. <laughs> <laughs> You can't Google that shit, bitch. No, but uh, yeah, on yeah, such a small, project. tiny budget, uh, really next level filmmaking in terms of they the I, the way they did it, like Eduardo Sanchez and, and the other guy who made the film, just gave the cameras to the actors, sent them in the woods, and was like, gave them a few directions, like, okay, you need to be here at this time. What didn't tell them what they was gonna do, you know, in the middle of the night, like they were essentially camping and just playing, like like role playing pretty much you know what i mean mm-hmm. so it, it was like a weird idea that just worked so well and some people say it doesn't and mm-hmm. i understand why they do um but you at least have to appreciate and respect 
that for the majority of the people at the time, it absolutely worked. And it, that's why it's so influential. You know, it's amazing after talking about, you know, the Blair Witch Project and uh, paranormal activity so close together. It's amazing how how similar they are, you know, paranormal with their marketing, too. You know, mm-hmm. they kind of took a page from Blair Witch's book right there and created their own, you know, memorable marketing scheme. Low oh, budget, yeah. Obviously, yeah. it's very much from the Blair Witch Project. You know, yeah. it's very, very similar to that. So it's interesting. They're so close on the list. But I think the Blair Witch deserves just a little bit more like it did so oh yeah i mean yeah for sure and like you said it, it, this isn't about the quality of film the, the blair witch project didn't even make my top 10 uh found footage films i know jp is like that's oh, blasphemy that's you know, crazy but you know it's a film that i've you know i didn't mind when it first came out i, I don't really care for it anymore you know it's mm-hmm. just not something i go back to or anything but that's just me but and, i do respect it's... it for what it did because man you know i remember thinking about it all the time i was like it's crazy, man. <laughs> it's you know? one of the rare movies that shook the world. There's a couple of them. And yeah. the Blair Witch Project is one of them. It, it literally was on the news like every morning. Like I the, know, new, the actual so news. Hello. This is Brad from Brad and Ham 27. I thank you guys for the um, 50 episodes for, for, for the for, uh, first time caller and for your official so you asked the question what's the most uh influential movie of the last few years my answer will be the Blair Witch Project because it was the first you know found footage movie when I first watched it I didn't really like it but I understand the comps the I like the concept of it and about that one, we want to have like the movies like the um, Colorfield, Grave Encounters One Two, um, Exist, and many more other titles. So that's why I picked this one because it's the first one. Keep up the uh, good work. Thank you for for fifty shows, and hopefully you get like fifty more. So. Bye. All right, here we go. Number nine from the year 1976 is Brian De Palma's Carrie. Oh, I think yeah. this might surprise some people. Yeah, some people. I think a lot of people are going to be surprised. After we, having... we surprised ourselves, really. I yeah, mean, when we, I when never... we initially had Carrie on the list, it was never this this close to the bottom. But as we started talking about it we realized like wow carrie has done a lot movies yeah. mm-hmm. what what is some of the things i think the first notable thing that we came across we we're discussing carrie and then we're just like thinking about high school theme films right it wasn't the very first notable thing that we that we yeah. talked about yeah you know and we're trying to think we're going well what came before carrie for like high school characters and set in a high school and just high school theme type film mm-hmm horror film and we're like we started going through the years we literally went through the years and was looking at like all the titles that came out in say 76 75 74 you know for very notable high school type theme films and we're going what the fuck like i can't find anything this is crazy and you know and that's where it also got bumped up to the list i'm like wow okay now this film right here spawned a million type of films 
Yeah, because horror films were like made for adults and they followed adults. Very like I think of stuff like in the Hammer world, like that's what all the shit was in like before Carrie, and then Carrie comes out and like it's like teenagers at proms and high schools. Like it's was really new, and it's Mm -hmm. weird to say that it really is because. But when you actually think Mm -hmm. about it, and you think of all the films that came before Carrie, and there were really none like it. Most horror films previous to Carrie were you know directed at adults you know the cast yeah. members were adults and stuff you know we had some sorority ones previous we just talked about black christmas but that's not high school it's different yeah you're you know, pretty these, much these an adult are, this is directed at younger uh, like a younger you know core audience and stuff and i'm like that's very very interesting so the conversation kind of bled from there and it just wow you know this one is on a different playing field so you know i think originally when we had carrie it was way down the list Oh, you know, for sure. Oh, yeah. Way down there. And then that kind of spawned. And I was like, wow, that's interesting. And then, of course, then you get into the film itself. You know, it's, you know, the film that, you know, Stephen King was the very first adaptation of a Stephen King novel. Yeah, which you know, influenced back- a ton more based on oh, its yeah. success. Exactly. Exactly. Wow. You know, this is kind of what spawned, you know, set Stephen King to a stratosphere. All of a sudden, his, his books and stuff started getting, you know, adapted into films. Carrie kind of set the bar for that, you know, or started that. And, uh, you know, among things, you know, this one right here is not to mention all the Carrie ripoffs, the telekinetic girl, like seriously, <laughs> Jason seven ripped off Carrie, like literally there was films <laughs> Carrie. Exactly. That's I'm glad you brought that up. And right away, you know, 76, 77, 70, there was all of a sudden like about a the archaic mother, man. Yeah, there's so many films that were like totally ripped off from Carrie. The overbearing and, religious mother. The archaic mm-hmm. mother, that's what I just said. Exactly. Yeah, so many fucking films and just but it's the whole high school thing though. You know, it's yeah. very interesting. It's very interesting, you know, and I think that's what Carrie's honestly not even noted for, but I think that we thought of that needs to be noted. <laughs> <laughs> it, it took so. bullying it, it took bullying and made it a topic which really ha- wasn't done at the time like now it's such a hot topic but mm-hmm. i mean this film is well, still showed to people and people cite it as like as an anti-bullying film like it's crazy yeah you I either know, and- you either root for carrie you don't root for carrie i've heard people who root for carrie and people who don't root for carrie well mm. Yeah, I mean, well, because like it's interesting it, how it, relevant it, this film really still is. Yeah, you know? and so. one other thing that we didn't touch on, and this is when we started surprising ourselves because we found many different areas that this was influential in, and one of the other ones is the final jump scare scene. Oh yeah, which was heavily ripped off, and and you know other films were influenced by Friday the Thirteenth, for example. Uh, took directly ripped off the you know the end scene in Carrie. Mm-hmm. Yep, completely agree. Yeah, there's so many elements of this film that are influential. I mean, wow, what a big surprise! This is the biggest surprise on the list. Oh, you know, for sure, for myself. Oh, yeah. and My, it's just. Too. But you know, I'm even still thinking about this. I cannot believe that we can't find any more high school based films that are notable before yeah. this. It just seems like it's so modern, you know, 1976, you know, like, really? Yeah. High school? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. But everything about this film is basically still relevant, you know. All right, moving along into number eight is another Wes Craven film, Wesley Craven film from 1996. And, of course, that is 
none other than Scream. What's up, guys? This is Chris, a.k.a. Critterbuster, and I'm going to talk about my uh, number one influential movies from the past 50 years. Um, I believe that Scream should be one of the number one influential films of the past 50 years, mainly due to its bringing forth of so many horror films afterwards. Like, nobody knew what was coming uh, around the corner for the horror genre. Nobody knew at all. They weren't really expecting anything. It happened in a time just when nobody really cared about horror anymore. And um, once Scream hit, it just spawned so many people into wanting to make movies like that or make any type of slasher movies. And it just spawned something in the horror genre that just stuck even to this day. There's so many people that are still making movies similar to Scream. And uh, I, I think without Scream, who knows where the horror genre would be. There might not be any horror movies to this day if it wasn't for Scream. Uh, Wes Craven, you know, brought something into the genre that nobody was expecting at all. Uh, it kind of flipped the, the entire horror world upside down and uh, with the whole twist and stuff and just making it meta and uh, just something that nobody really expected at the time. And to this day, people are still trying to do that. And I don't think we'll ever get anything uh, like that again. Um, so my pick for the most influential of the last 50 years goes to Scream. So thank you, Wes Craven, for bringing something amazing in this world. And um, thanks, guys, and uh, keep up the good work on uh, 22 Shots of Moods and Horror. So uh, thanks, guys, for listening to this phone call. See ya. Third appearance from Wesley Craven. Speaking of high school. <laughs> right? I mean... This wow. is the teen scream film, man. I mean, it like it, it shaped it. For, for the first thing it did was it literally resurrected horror. Like, oh yeah, horror That's was one of the biggest reasons the why it's on here. Yeah. That's one of the biggest reasons it resurrected horror. It resurrected, you know, the slasher film, um, and it Everything. just spawned. It spawned so many ripoffs, and and it created that kind of what scary it, you movie. Know, yeah, you know, scary yeah, movie. You know, the spoofs. I know and what stuff. You this did movie's last just so summer. notable. Urban legend. You know, I mean, the list goes on. Oh. Valentine. It also created. I don't know if this is that notable, but you know, the opening scene. I to me, it's very iconic because they took a major star uh-huh. and managed to spoiler alert kill her off in the first scene. Yeah, um, which I think at that's the very... same time it was done years and years before in Psycho. Yet it was new and fresh again. But then again, Psycho's a different... Psycho, I mean, she wasn't killed in the first scene of the film. You know what I'm saying? That was a totally different structure. But I'm talking like the very opening scene. Yeah. You know, which is very iconic today. And, you know, it's not... It's been mimicked and stuff. But Scream is notable for uh, creating... Well, not, not creating, but just kind of bringing back horror and slasher films. Man, like the Neil Slot... Is that what the term is? Neil Slasher? Film, I think I hear the term thrown around a I don't lot. I actually Neo know that term. Neo, like neo yeah. realism. No, not neo. I, I hear yeah. meta a lot. With I know, but like neo, I'm just saying, like on the same level of neo realism. Is that what you're getting at? Mm-mm, not realism at all. It's just it's pertaining just to you know sl- slasher films is not realism. I know that. I'm just saying, like, are you using it on the the same? Time? But you've never heard the term neo slasher before. That scream kind no. of. Be- it's I've, coined I've as being like the, the first term. one. And then I know what you did last summer and, you know, um, 
urban legend, all those films that were basically clones of Scream were all considered to be this new subgenre of like neo slashers and stuff. I've actually heard the term. I, I do know what you're talking about, Moods, but I actually don't know what it means. So, I, like, that's what I meant by like I'm not. I think it's like new wave. Okay. So yeah, yeah, and you know that's what Scream did. It it, it broke that sort of fourth wall in a way where it's like new wave. It, it's was met the, the the term meta is always used to describe it and we've seen that with stuff like leslie vernon and cabin in the woods and and so on and so on which all pulled from scream the 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 uh you know awareness of horror films like this is a horror film that was aware that horror films existed and mm-hmm. it might not be the first one but it's definitely the one that did it the, the best in terms of just the amount that it did it and the way that it did it Hey guys, it's Joey Coleman for episode 50, and I wanted to say my pick for the most influential horror movie, and I would have to go with Scream. And Scream's one of my personal favorites um, from the horror genre in the last 20 years. I absolutely love Scream, one of my favorite movies. Um, I picked this because I think Scream just spawned a bunch of different movies from people seeing its success and especially like cover art if you see I mean there's a ton of movies that rip off the cover art um but mostly I think that that generation when Scream came out that opened um like a whole they discovered the genre like that movie discovered the horror genre like it opened it up to them and if that's not influence, then I don't know what is. Anyways, great job with the episode. And, yeah, keep it up. Bye. And there we go into this territory, but the goddamn cover arts. It influenced the next, like, ten years of cover arts, which oh, in a negative is hell way, but it did, goddammit. The floating heads with the ca- – I mean, shit, dude. Halloween H2O is a direct scream clone, right? I mean, it's it's a scream mm-hmm. clone. So it is like influencing things that came before. It, it's it's a very, very influential film for sure. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. You could go on about this one all day. But, yeah, the cover art, remember we started laughing about that. We're like, oh, yeah, and the cover art. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like every single cover art for like the next like – well, I mean even like 10 years it seemed like these stupid slashers. <laughs> have these see covers every once now. in a while, man, and it's, yeah, it's frustrating. But Scream was like the first one that popularized that. Like literally they – like. I know what you did last summer just made me laugh. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> like the exact same cover. <laughs> so, I mean after Scream, like the studios were just pumping out clones mm-hmm. like that they literally went in wanting to clone and it resurrected re- the it, resurrected the studio film yeah yeah it, it, it just resurrected horror and it, it was it was like a it didn't last as long as the, the the films in the 80s but it was like a brief glimpse of that once Hope. glorious era of, of yeah. the 80s slashers but they were done in a different way now and they were like sleek and that's kind mm-hmm. of what we saw then on but the, the problem is is that what was coming out was kind of generic and boring and not fun like the ones we've seen in the 80s. So that's why it died off kind of quicker. But, I mean, it, it was everywhere. And let's let's not, you know, gloss over the the mask. The Scream mask is, is like, face, yeah. like you mm-hmm. were saying in grade five when you, <laughs> when you went trick-or-treating or whatever, everybody was wearing the Freddy mask. Like, I remember this to this day when I was in like, you know, 
1997, whatever year, whatever grade I was in at that time, every third or fourth uh, kid was wearing a screen mask, like the ghost face mask, like everybody's wearing it. You, re- I'm sure you remember that, Jeremy. You're like, oh yeah, oh, you still see them. You oh. still, you still see them. It's still yeah. one of the most popular ha- Halloween costumes. Yeah. So I mean, Scream. Wow. What a, yeah. what an influential film. Yeah. Definitely belongs in the top ten. Oh, for sure. Hey guys, it's Brandon. It's Wednesday, the 29th of April, and like so many times before, I have procrastinated, and this is the last day to get in episode 50, so here it is. First of all, congratulations on making the big 5-0. Here's to 50 more. The film I chose was Scream from 1996, most influential horror film in the last 50 years. Maybe not the most influential, but to me... Extremely influential in that it saved the horror genre. I was 16 when it came out, and I remember horror being on the verge of, I don't know, it just seemed on the verge of extinction. I know it wasn't, but just a lot of sequels, late sequels coming out in really bad movies, and then Scream just sort of was a parody of the slasher film, and not only did a good job of breaking down the slasher film and being a parody of it, but being a pretty effective slasher in itself, and I think set the mark for a new wave of horror film and really brought back mainstream horror and I guess to some degree influenced the independent horror we have today. Uh, yeah, be interested in what you guys think. Um, talk to you guys soon. Take care. Bye. Coming in at number seven, we have Steven Spielberg's Jaws from the, the movie year that ruined Hollywood. <laughs> it's influential for ruining Hollywood or in creating the summer blockbuster the summer blockbuster and also putting fear into everyone's eyes every time they stepped into a fucking well you know not even an area full of water yeah like literally uh, like i've heard people say when they was kids they were scared to get a bath after watching jaws let alone (laughs) like going like they literally wanted to only shower and then they were still scared that Jaws would somehow get in the water. <laughs> like, and these are legit. Like, I've heard this time and time again. I, I, I tell you guys all the time, I, I'm a podcast junkie. Like, I literally just heard somebody say that, like, a week ago. <laughs> and that's not the first time I heard it. Yeah, man. But, but I mean, honestly, put your put yourself in these uh, people's shoes. 1975, you go to the, the, the theater to see Jaws. Yeah. Are you jumping into the ocean the next day? No. Hell no. Probably not. fucking not. So this movie was very, very effective. Of course it was like the, you know, the film that people cite as kind of ruining, you know, Did I don't know. Really though? I, yes. I don't, people say See, that this, all the time. This is the I, argument, I, but I, I give it more credit for like creating that major summer blockbuster. Yeah, which does what? Like and why also is that cre- a bad thing? Because it killed all the independent movies, JP. Independent movies are still Ruined alive. Hollywood. Not, not, no. Uh, They're just not mainstream, which is... Do you want a whole fucking film history? Do you want me to tell no, you why they killed the summer blockbuster? Because during the summertime, people didn't go to the movies because it was warm outside and they stayed, they stayed, you know, in swimming pools and stuff like that. So the studios were able to invest in more lower budget movies and take more responsibility on movies that may have not been as successful during the you know fall and winter times. So people were making more movies, more interesting movies were getting made. Jaws came along, and then that's all this fucking Hollywood so, wanted to make. So it ruined the fucking independent scene. 
Well, it ruined low-budget, yeah, risky movie-making. But I've at the same the time, there's a lot of really interesting summer blockbusters. So, I mean, I mean, say what fucking you will. Jurassic I mean, Park, dude. That's a fucking it all, amazing movie. I guess it all comes down to if you, like, if you like him or not. You know, like, personally, there's not a lot of summer blockbuster films that I'm a huge fan of. Jaws is one. I love Jaws. But, uh, I mean... Honestly, it's, you know, this put sharks in people's houses, you know, and created what? Sharknado. 10 million fucking Jaws ripoffs. I mean, there's so many Jaws <laughs> ripoffs. It's ridiculous. Even films with the exact same storyline mm-hmm. to the T, you know, Italians ripped off Jaws to, you know, this one was so influential around the world, put the fear in people's eyes. This is, you know, influential for so many different type of reasons. Yeah, there, but. there's so many of the, uh, you know, even... Uh, Joe Dante says after Piranha, you know, which was a Jaws ripoff, that everybody yep. was trying to hire him to direct their Jaws ripoff, whether it be Orca, the Killer Well, or whatever. Like he, he was, you know, he didn't want to go down that rabbit hole, but essentially everybody was trying to get him to do the next Jaws ripoff. Mm-hmm. That that's actually a good point because it wasn't just it didn't just influence shark films; it was anything water related. Yeah, you know, just in that, that in that setup right i mean it's it's mm-hmm. something's in the water whether it's piranha or an octopus or whatever it's it's just the the that fear level of something being under you and oh, there you're stuck there alligators and in, in crocodile films and stuff were basically direct ripoffs of jaws too yeah there's so many of them but i mean we could talk about jaws all day really <laughs> i mean hey fellas andrew french here and i'm actually calling to get my entry in for the um most influential movie of the past 50 years. Um, I'm hoping it's not too late, but anyway, if it's not, I'm going to go with the film Jaws, um, just simply because it spawned so many ridiculous movies. That's what I want to go with is Jaws. Um, just Yeah, just simply because it spawned so many ridiculous um, movies and stuff like that. So anyway, I hate voicemails, but anyway, thanks guys, and uh, I appreciate it. Bye. Number six on the list of the top 50 most influential horror films of the last 50 years, we have Sam Raimi's 1981, The Evil Dead. Yeah, The Evil Dead. That's Mm. one that so many, so many independent filmmakers cite as a huge inspiration and influence. This is like that staple independent film that, you know, just proves that you can do so much with so little. Uh I mean, but this film right here not only created, you know, some really, you know, a lot of people cite as being cheesy effects and stuff. But, you know, they did what they did with what they had. Right. You know, but this movie right here was also an inspiration because of how it was shot. You know, this one created so many memorable techniques and, and ways to shoot film that had never been done before. And it was mimicked to death after. You see these techniques that Sam Raimi used in The Evil Dead so often in films. It never been done before. This is why it's so influential. You know, it's a low-budget yeah. film that created... Mm-hmm. It looks so much bigger than it actually really oh, is. Yeah. You know, this movie's so low-budget. It's insane. Mm-hmm. I mean, we all know the effects were used or done by, you know, shit from the fridge. And, mm-hmm. you know, but it just... It, this movie is so much more than it, you know, than its budget, which is amazing. There's two kids out there right now running through the woods with a camera on a two by four because of Sam Raimi. Exactly. Mm-hmm. 
and this is why it's so high on the list because this movie's not only been you know ripped off a million times, but you know, I mean, maybe that's why it is. <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> mean, know? but it, it, the technique, man. I mean, it, it's such a huge inspiration because as the film was successful and as you know, time went on more and more of the details of, of how it was done and what Raimi was able to do, him and Bruce Campbell working together, you know, it, it, the details leaked out and became kind of, you know, a, a book of information for, you know, filmmakers in the 90s and, and 2000s to, to, you know, college filmmakers, college students who went out and made films, like, used a lot of techniques that, they heard from Sam Raimi and the evil dead. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. I mean, if your techniques are being studied in, uh, you know, in colleges and stuff, and this is just like low budget in independent filmmakers that created, you know, I mean, how is that not crazy influential? And yeah, I mean, right? I mean, <laughs> come it, on, it is like the quintessential cabin in the woods film, which we've seen a million of since. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, the setting alone you know, has been just done to death, but this is, this is the staple film, you know, on so many different levels. And that's why it's so high on the list. All right. Coming in at number five is Toby Hooper's 1974 gritty, grimy classic, the Texas chainsaw massacre, which also happens to be yours truly's favorite horror film of all time. You know, we stated so many times, we stated so many times throughout this show that we were never being biased, you know, with our favorite films or whatever. It just so happens that they end up being on this list. You know, mine, of course, being, I think mine is the, that lowest on the list, actually. Jeremy's is one ahead of yours. That's right. So, and this is another thing I never noticed that we, when we were doing the list, all three of our favorite films are on here. Yeah. Yep. It's awesome. So, yeah. Well, and, and, you know, one of the things that you mentioned was, we, you know, we remained unbiased. And one of the things I did was I kind of didn't really comment on what, where I thought the Texas Chainsaw fit in. I let them do it. And it just so happened that I agreed after they had, you know, kind of ranked it at number five. So, this really is as unbiased as it gets. And the Texas Chainsaw Massacre is just one of those films from everything with the, the sound effect, you know, the camera flash sound effect, whatever the hell that is. I mean, how many times have you heard that in, in other films? So many times, right? The, mm. uh, you know, Chainsaw Massacre, the te- like the title has been done in different ways and things like that. I mean, Leatherface has been ripped off. The family, the dinner table scene has been ripped off. Yeah. It, 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 and not only that, but it's also like influenced, you know, in a positive, less rip offy way too. I mean, people look at it like it's this film that that is so realistic and gritty that it almost feels like a documentary because it's just done in a different style. It's just you. Mm-hmm. I don't even think you can really mimic it. It was just kind of like. I don't. I, I honestly think it's almost accidental. Like it, it kind of just ended up looking that way. Well, I think uh-huh. I think it actually is because didn't Toby Hooper even say that he kind of figured that like he was just kind of going with the motions with the film. Yeah. He didn't really know what he was doing, and he didn't really want it to turn out how it did. It just turned out that it turned out really awesome looking. Yeah, you know, he even stated that you know the way he was shooting and stuff, and he wasn't sure about it. He actually thought it looked like shit. And he wasn't really sure about it. And he was like, man, this movie kind of sucks kind of deal. But it turns out that what he did was amazing. (laughs) So you can't get any better filmmaking than that. An accident Um, that turned into history. 
exactly. Yeah, and, and the opening, you know, dialogue thing, it, it kind of took the, like the realistic, the, yeah, the, the, the based on true events thing. This was one of the big ones to do that and, and really say it, like say it in your face that, that it was doing that, you know, straight mm-hmm. up tell you. Coming in at number four, we have the glorious Sean S. Cunningham making his <laughs> <laughs> debut on the list. Wait, wait, you're talking about my BFF? Yeah, uh, Jeremy's best friend. <laughs> BFF for life? We yeah, have... we, met, we actually met in uh, grade five. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I yeah. phoned him up all the time. We used to hang out. We have Friday the 13th. From the year 1980. Yeah. So why is this more influential than Nightmare on Elm Street? Well, because there probably wouldn't be an Elm Street without Friday the 13th. Hmm. I don't know. I've I've never really understood that argument before. Because they're like really kind of complete opposite films. Yeah, but but I mean, like at the end of the day, people were thinking of ideas to go along with the slasher formula that was dominating the horror world at the time. So, I mean, yeah, maybe, maybe not, maybe it still would have happened, but, um, Friday the 13th is that film that launched the entire, like the entire slasher era was, was because Friday the 13th came in and put some gore in there. And, you know, it was that, that studio film. Uh huh. I guess so. You know, that really surprised the shit out of people. Uh-huh. You know, like, it was just, it was actually insane that this movie was even released by a major studio, but, you know, because I think a lot of type of films like this were not being released by major studios, and I think that's what influenced a million rip-offs in the slasher films in this era, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> was Friday the 13th, like, fuck, man, studios are putting this shit out, let's do this. So it was just, like, influenced every single studio. I mean, everybody wanted to make a Friday the 13th after, right? Well, shit. I mean, John Carpenter wanted to make a Friday the 13th after this. Because Halloween 2 is very Friday the 13th-y with the terms of the level of gore that was amped up. Exactly. Exactly. Even Friday the 13th wanted to make more films, and, of course, they did. (laughs) It's kind of rolled with it, but you know it, it's interesting that did we we talked about this before that you know it, you know Friday the Thirteenth being released by it was a Paramount right yep um you know it was just shocking that they were going to release something like this because they weren't doing anything like this at the time were they you know it was just very kind of shocking and mm-hmm. and I think that's where the influence came from the major studios all these major studios just jumped right on it they're like fuck this you know get rid of these stupid ass comedies and dramas let's, let's put out this gore film and stuff so the influence was obviously there mm-hmm. everybody wanted to have that next friday the 13th jump on that bandwagon money man you know the killer even you know jason was very mimicked and mocked afterwards Mm-hmm. which came later though right i mean the iconic true jason- true i mean we are talking about friday the 13th um yeah. so the original film which came out in 80 um, but I do think that we kind of also, like we did with Freddy, we do characterize, like, the franchise as well a little bit. All right. The top three. Chodes, yeah. Ooh, I'm going to have the honor of doing number one. Oh, yeah. All right. So, the third film that is most influential. Your math's bad. horrible. God damn it. That's another thing that everybody can make fun of me for. All right. Number three, 1973's The Exorcist. Hey, guys. This is uh, Jesus Escobar from Idaho Falls, Idaho, calling for episode 50. And the film.
film that I chose for episode 50 was um, The Exorcist. And the reason I chose The Exorcist was because <clears throat> at the time, and even still now, it is a scary film. And I'm sure it was very shocking to see all that evil and demonic imagery portrayed in the film at the time. I'm sure it was very, uh, you know, jolting and it uh, maybe gave people nightmares and all this. And even still today, I'm sure it can do that. And um, another reason why I like the film is because it takes this average, um, nice, middle-class family in America and um, it shows how how nice they can be and how pleasant things are in the household. And then all of a sudden it takes that and twists it and turns it evil and very uh, dark and um, sets a demonic kind of tone in the film. And you almost feel bad for Reagan, but at the same time you're kind of disgusted with her. Um, but um, another thing is, like, all that... All those scenes with, like, the spider walk down the stairs and the head spin scene and uh, I guess you would call it crucifix, like, masturbation scene is very kind of unsettling and unnerving to see coming from this little girl um, that was once Reagan. No. <clears throat> yeah, but, um, and also things that Reagan says, like, she's all at foul language and all the vulgarity and stuff and very nasty words and even to me, it's shocking when I watch the film, but it is one of my favorite movies. It's part, part of the reason why I chose it. And um, at the time when the film was uh, made, I'm sure it was kind of like one-of-a-kind film. A lot of other films at that time weren't um, anything like this one. So, And I feel that it is very influential because it inspired many other directors of today to create films similar to it. Yep, so there's my film for episode 50. Uh, thank you, guys. Yeah, oh. and I mean, honestly, you could do a whole episode on what the On possession. Uh-huh. The yeah. quintessential possession film, you know, mimic to death. I mean, this is another film. I swear the next day there was there was Italian ripoffs <laughs> of The Exorcist, <laughs> like literally the same storylines and this one is still being done today. I mean, possess, possession films now, you know, they're very, you know, a diamond does. There's so many of them, man. There's so many of them. But this is the film. This is where it comes from, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. It, it, you know, the exorcism genre was, like, started from the exorcist. And there's a yeah. slew of them. There's so many that came after, and none of them has even come close to the exorcist. Um, but it, it, it's it's a film genre that, that people just latch on, especially you know religious people love The Exorcist. You know, yeah, it man, scares they the it. hell out of them. Especially you know Catholics, like I know like Catholic believers love The Exorcist. I heard stories mm-hmm. that they like showed it in church, like they literally like showed it. Wouldn't surprise me. That's, that's yeah, crazy. To freak people out. Yeah, that's what I heard. Yeah, yeah, I mean, but what it comes down to is like the quintessential possession film that. That's what it is, you know. The film's brilliant, though. It really is. I know Jeremy's not like the hugest fan of it, but like, no. nor am I. I. Think it's so, but I do. I think it's so good. I do appreciate and am aware of, of the beginning. The brilliant is, oh, so stupid. It shouldn't be in there, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah I mean, I guess wrong. that's de- that's debatable, but <laughs> it doesn't really take any way, anything away from the film for me. I don't know. 
I don't know. It is what it is. But, you know, that's what The Exorcist is, man. It's like quintessential film that just has to be so high. I mean, it spawned so much, mm. so much, you know. And in and terms I, of, like, fear factor and scares, like, when somebody creates – when somebody's trying to make a scary movie, like, they often say, like, well, when I was a kid, I was – terrified by the exorcist and so i've always wanted to make my scary movie like Mm -hmm. it's it's one of those films you know like the evil dead and and, you know other films that that people and alien that people really do cite as a huge influence in in their profession in their professional filmmaking career Uh exactly yeah i mean this is one of those films that's kind of like In my opinion, it's like Psycho. You know, when, you're, when you're doing film class or you're in film school, they always seem to show films like now Psycho. Now, my professor, I fought him for it. Man, I'll never forget that when I was a freshman. It's like, okay, we're going to show Psycho. I was like, no, not watching that shit again. And he, he didn't show it. He showed uh, fucking Ravenous instead. I fucking but I, I've, I've heard of many people watching Ravenous. That's quite the alternate. Yeah. Sick of, I was sick of watching Psycho, man. Yeah, I mean, I understand <laughs> but, what Jeremy's saying. Yeah, it's like, like the, they always go to Psycho and The Exorcist and things like that because there's mm-hmm. so much to talk about. But you exactly. know, once you hear it a million times, I'm sure it does. You kind but of. But that's why these films are shown else. because there is yeah. so much to talk about. about yeah, exactly, films. and that's that. That literally is why that you know exactly. You're correct. In at number two is the man himself Johnny Jonathan Jonathan Carpenter's 1978 Halloween Hey this is Joanna Rose this is my first voicemail I'm leaving um I'm leaving the most influential horror movie voicemail right now um I just first I'd like to say I really enjoy your guys's podcast um I've listened to all of them I actually didn't start listening from the first one I just caught up from December, so um, I've listened to all of them. Um, I actually found you guys because I did a YouTube search on Necromantic Reviews, and that's how I found you guys, so I've listened to all of them. Um, My most influential horror movie of the last 50 years, of course, is going to be Halloween, because Michael Myers is my favorite serial killer and horror movie villain, and I freaking have a early hard on for Michael Myers and I just love the whole Halloween series and I even love Halloween 3 with the man Tom Atkins because he's a freaking stud and um, once again I love you guys' podcast you guys rule I keep it up and I hope you guys make it to 100 episodes okay have a good evening bye obviously Halloween we talked about Friday the 13th how it kind of you know got it, it Halloween kicked off the slasher genre. Friday the 13th got it running full force. But Halloween not only, you know, cre- it kind of created the holiday horror as well. Like it, after that, every slasher was a holiday theme because of this film, you know. Halloween. I think it more popularized it really. Yeah, I mean, well, you know, Black Christmas. Because we had Black Christmas first. was Christmas, but Halloween was, you know, that film I think that popularized making, you know, Mm-hmm. those type of slasher films. I mean, holiday theme ones. Yeah. There was a slew of them in the next few years. There really was, you know? So yeah, I think it kind of popularized it, but you know, it's, it's Halloween to me is like that modern. It's what we know as like the stock and slash film mm-hmm. that was so popular between, you know, 78 and 84. It's that film. Yeah. yeah. 
you know, I mean, really, I mean, you look at in 1981, I read a stat one time about 1981 and they said there was a slasher film opening up in theaters every single weekend. That is fucking incredible. Yeah, yeah that, that is, is pretty incredible. It that really is. is incredible. And it, in it's mostly in, you know, due to Halloween, I would say it's pretty much all there. Everybody wanted to have that film. So there was just an abundance of films being made, mm-hmm. you know, in 1980 and 81, they were get, getting released every week, but every single weekend, that's really incredible. It's insane. It well, really is incredible. I mean, Friday, you know, Sean S. Cunningham, you know, <laughs> he, he straight up said, well, I'm going to rip off Halloween. It's making a lot of money at the box office. I mean, but how many interviews and, and commentaries and articles have you ever read that have cited Halloween as being a major influence on their film? Mm-hmm. Even on non-slasher films. Yeah. It was this, you know, it was using, you know, I want to, I want to have a score like that. Yeah. I was you know, really going so many for a John Carpenter-esque score, you know, the one he used exactly. Wayne. <laughs> I've, I've literally read that before. I, you know, I want to have, you know, that a score like John John Carpenter's. You know, it, it's so crazy how influential Halloween really is, you know, uh-huh. on the modern, not just slasher yeah. films, like I said, but in, in just in horror films in general. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the, Dean Cundy's cinematography as well, right? The, the, the Steadicam and stuff. Oh, yeah. Big time. And also creating a very memorable you know, slasher killer. Yeah. Also, you know, it's one of the big, you know, three, four that's, you know, out there, you know, everybody knows Michael Myers and knows that mask and stuff. It's Mm -hmm. just, it created a lot of memorable things. Yeah. Yeah. Halloween's just one of those films that there's really Mm. an unmeasurable amount of influence. It it really is. Mm. We can't even, I mean, we could sit here and talk about Halloween all day, which we already did. Which we've already we done. <laughs> exactly. An episode what, JP? 28. I'm just throwing it out there. I could be wrong. You're always it's on somewhere. top of that shit. It's somewhere in the back catalog. But yeah, Halloween. Wow. It really is one of those. It's in the Hall of Fame. It's in the Hall of Fame. Hey, guys. It's Sam from the Facebook page. I just wanted to leave my uh, entry for the contest. So I would have to say Halloween would be my most influential horror movie because it was one of the first slashers ever made. So, plus, it started the whole slasher craze after Halloween came out. A bunch of other um, slashers came out. So, that would be have to be my uh, most influential horror movie. So, congrats on the 50 episodes and uh, hope for 50 more. So. Hey guys, this is Andre, Little Record Cutie, 2005, and I wanted to pick Halloween as one of the most influential horror movies because it is one of my favorites. I grew up with it, and you could say it pretty much kicked off the slasher genre for the late 70s into the 80s, and I just wanted to get that out there, get my entry in. Love the podcast. Keep up the good work, guys. Catch you later. And the moment you've all been waiting for, coming in at number one, we have George Andrew Romero's classic 1968 film, Night of the Living Dead. Yeah. Well, the, this one be. is responsible for everything. The, moder- the modern zombie film. Yep. Every if it wasn't film, for that, there wouldn't be no Walking uh, Dead, 
it literally created a thing. Like it, it created something out of nothing. It was. Yeah. It did. It's strange. Like it, it's really kind of hard to like value what it actually is done. Like, like it created a zombie. Like okay, you can create Jason or Freddy or something, but something like a zombie is just really weird to to come up with. Mm-hmm. You know, there were zombies beforehand, see. but not like this. Not the flesh eating rule kind that we know it's like it's like fucking creating a vampire pretty much right yeah yeah it's like you know it it just doesn't seem like it's individual it seems like it's a whole pack Mm -hmm. you know what i'm saying like you know you got jason individual you know Mm -hmm. zombies that's the masses you know it just seemed like it created more but i mean this is the quintessential zombie film this is the modern zombie as we know it zombie films were a thing before 1968 oh yeah but they were a lot different. They oh, yeah. were not like what we know. They, they were more like voodoo. Oh yeah, they were the, they were like voodoo zombies. Yeah. These weren't the flesh crazy undead. You know, George A. Romero created a timeless movie. Yeah, mm-hmm. and a timeless characters or what about what, the social whatever you want. commentary, man? Oh, I mean, oh, obvi- the specifics. Of, the specifics of the film are obviously there. The social commentaries. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> it's it's obviously amazing. There's so many things that we could touch on. You know, him even casting, you know, uh, a black lead in the film, which yeah. was huge. Yeah. Which was huge because 1968. There was that wasn't happening before that. Yeah, at all. And Georgia, like, he even states that he he didn't even think about it at first. Mm-hmm. He actually just cast the the person that had the most acting experience, or he thought it was the best actor as the lead. Okay, you're gonna have the most lines. You're the best actor. Oh, by the way, he's yeah, it's black. not like he went and wrote the character for a black man. Like, yeah. he, no. he just was like, "Yeah, you're gonna work. You were the character. You're Ben." <clears throat> but yeah, Night of the Living Dead is. This is the birth. It's the film. Of an it entire is the film genre. It's so crazy to think that it all started in 1968 with Night of the Living Dead. I mean. You know, Jeremy mentioned that the voodoo zombies were before that, and you mentioned it as well, Mitz. But since then, I mean, we kind of forgot about the voodoo zombies because these are so much better. Really. I mean, these are just so much better. How many voodoo zombie films have come out since Night of Living Dead? To be honest, it's just more frightening. It's yeah. way more frightening. Having the dead come back and then wanting to rip you apart, that's that's a pretty it's interesting us. premise, man. It's having it's a- us come back but not us but still us and it's that that moral dilemma with your family your friend like you see like that was a brilliant concept man I, and yeah. it obviously it's so done now that just it's just part of the way things are it's part but of the at culture. the time at the time it was it had not been done exactly yeah, it created a new culture crazy it did and exactly. i don't think culture any time is better than the present to kind of shed the light on this thing because of things like The Walking Dead and how popular it still is in our culture. And it all started with Night of Living Dead. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I, in my opinion, I, you know, when we first started creating this list, it was like a no-brainer. Yeah, I so was we like, like oh, yeah. agree, We're like, what do you think the most is? We're all like Night of Living Dead. Yeah, yeah. we instantly all agreed <clears throat> before, like, I was a little nervous at first because I was like, I know what I think but what do you think and we all was just like Night of the Living Dead it is that is the one so that's yeah it. <laughs> yeah I mean we could like we could do a whole episode on Night of the Living Dead really there's so much to talk about in that film but 
been talked about a lot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Some over here for Hey, guys, this is Michael from Iowa. I was just calling to say my most influential film in the last 50 years. And I think it's Night of Living Dead because without that film, we probably wouldn't have a lot of the movies or TV shows we have now, like Return of Living Dead or TV shows like The Walking Dead. So that's my pick. But I just want to say congratulations on 50 episodes and keep up the great work. Uh, thank you for holding the contest. Hey, what's up, guys? This is Donnie. I'm just calling in about your most influential movies, and I gotta go with Night of the Living Dead from 1968. Um, basically, zombies as we know it today. So many movies have been, you know, uh, spawned off of this movie. So many sequels, and uh, also an independent movie. Great music, great acting, just a all-around awesome horror classic. So I gotta go with Night of the Living Dead for an influential movie. Later, guys. Keep up the good work. Peace. But yeah, that is gonna conclude the 50 top most influential films of the last 50 years. And once again, this is just a subjective list. Um, but do leave your comments down below or wherever. Shoot us a voicemail. However you want to contact us. We'd love to hear your feedback <clears throat> on this, uh, this subject because um, I'm sure there was films that were mentioned that well, didn't make this list. I, there's one in particular that I shot you last night. I was like, did we forget this one? And I think we probably it probably should have been on the list. Another yeah, one I, I was I thinking think so of too. is maybe Silent Night, Deadly Night. Mm. Uh, you know, with films like Sleepaway Camp up at the you know top end of it, I think there there might have been room for mm-hmm. Silent Night, Deadly Night. One that I fought for that that they wouldn't let me have <laughs> was Pet <clears throat> Cemetery. I really think Pet Cemetery um, should have been on the list. Uh, I don't know. I just, yeah, I mean, great film, but I don't know. Yeah, the, the, it's the Zelda scene, guys. It's quoted. It's cited as as you know the scary scene. I, I, I you know, there's there's more things about it too. Hmm. But, I mean, is there any that you two thought should have been here that, that we ended up not having? Well, Poltergeist was definitely the, yeah. the notable one. That's kind of an oversight, I guess. It probably definitely should have been on the list somewhere. So we apologize if we offended people. No, we don't apologize. No, we don't. Fuck that. <laughs> we're, totally, <laughs> I, we're totally unapologetic. This so. is our list, and we stand by it. Hi, guys. This is uh, Ron from Wisconsin. I'm calling in with my most influential movie and my choice is the changeling from 1980 starring george c scott this is uh one of the most influential movies personally to me because it is the first modern day ghost story that i ever saw back in the 80s growing up i believe i was eight years old when i first saw it and even though today when you watch it you know that it's not the most horrifying ghost story but it still carries an atmosphere of the supernatural that's awesome. So that's why I believe this is a gem in our movie history. Once again, The Changeling, 1980. Take care.